get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Carriker's Smallman, Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. It is 8 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And your magic number as you wake up this morning to clinch a wild card spot is 7. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Randy, and good morning, Dan. Good morning, guys. Good to be back with you. Seven is a good magic number to have. Seven's a great magic number to have. I, I just love the way the team is playing. How could you not? And they got a chance behind Wayno today for his uh, 2,000th strikeout. And uh, Cardinals are playing well. Chance to make it 12 in a row today. And by the way, today is a YouTube spectacular. Yes. Correct. So Dan will not be on the call. Somebody that we don't know is going to be on the call, which is criminal. But that's what that that's how baseball go. That's how baseball do, and that's what they go. Yeah. Or so, know how they go, and that's what they do. Is that a 110 <laughs> contest today in Milwaukee? It is. Yeah. Okay. So Adam Wainwright, as Danny mentioned, will go for a strikeout number 2,000 today. The Cardinals will go for win number 12 in a row after a 10-2 route of the Brewers last night. And as they are wont to do, they got things started early. Closed. And O'Neill jumps on it. And a deep left to nothing. St. Louis. Yet again, it's Tyler O'Neill, one of the hottest hitters in the major leagues. And with that baby, it's number 29 for O'Neill. What a move by Mike Schilt to put him in the three hole. Well, it, that has been huge. I, I also say the other difference with this team is base running as we saw last night, and their defense. Um, now, since August 1st, they're in the top six, I believe, in walk percentage in baseball. Prior to that, they were the worst team in baseball. So if you throw strikes, use their defense, they've always run the bases, even when they weren't playing well, in my opinion, under Mike Schilt. They, they, they cleaned that up a few years ago. But they're just showing that if they throw strikes, you play defense, you run the bases, and you move a guy that is the hottest hitter on the planet between two really good hitters, you're going to get production, and that's what they've gotten. And I also love how the Cardinals have been striking early. They go out there, they get an early lead, they strike in the first inning, and it gives their pitchers a little cushion to work with. Miles Michaelis was great last night. Makes so much difference. So you build up the lead to 6 to nothing. you get to the bottom of the second, and you're you're at third base, you're making $35 million. your team's won 10 in a row, you're up to 6 to nothing, and so Somebody pops a ball near foul territory. You can dog it a little bit, but not, <laughs> not if you're Nolan Arenado. And a curveball is popped up left side. Arenado giving chase. Oh, what a play, Nolan Arenado. He holds on. Went over the tarp. Back to the infield. And a basket catch from Nolan. 
On social media, they post things like this, Nolan being Nolan, and he does make the most unbelievable plays. That one did not look routine, obviously, as he's diving over, but he just, there's no play that he seemingly can't make. He practices these plays. It's unbelievable. It is. Um, I don't think that one, I mean, that was unbelievable, but that wasn't quite as good as his one in San Francisco. Where he kind of mm-hmm. was bloodied a little bit yeah. and stuff, but oh, yeah. but this one was right there uh, with it. And in terms of some of his great plays, it's got to be top three, maybe top five so far in St. Louis. I, I was saying to Brad, I don't know what you guys think, and also to the listeners, but I think he's better on that ball going with his back to the infield than maybe anybody I've ever oh, seen. I'm with you, and better than Roland even. Yeah. And Terry Pendleton maybe was the best I ever saw. Derek Jeter made the same play in the Yankees Red Sox game, and we have seen that play forever. Yeah, same play. Jeter yes went into no. the stands. He and, went into stands. That's the difference. Yeah, and Nolan couldn't because he had the big tarp. Right, <laughs> right. And uh, Tommy Edmonds playing Cincinnati reminded me of Jeter's play, too. Yeah, no doubt. Here's the other thing, guys, including uh, last night. Okay, so the last 11 games, the Cardinals offense, 105 hits, 69 runs scored. The pitching staff has allowed 73 hits and 30 runs. Wow. That's that's how you win. Yeah, I mean, that's the combination (laughs) for winning. And to boil that down, microcosm, last night's game, 10-2 lead, bottom of the ninth inning, and Danny Mack on the call. The 0-1 pitch. In the air left side. Tyler O'Neill under it. Count him up. 11 straight for the St. Louis Cardinals and win number 82. They're 82 and 69 and looking for a sweep behind Wayno tomorrow. So Dan, as you, as you mentioned, last night dominant, but this whole this whole winning streak has been dominant. It, it hasn't been a flukish winning streak. No, and if I'm Craig Council, I'm a little concerned with how I played yesterday and what I've done since they threw the combined no-hitter. I think they've dropped now six of eight. So that's one way to look at what happened last night. The other thing, too, guys, Cardinals had five doubles. And two of the five were just hustle doubles. They were they were singles for most hitters in the league that guys turned into two baggers. So w- when you do that, I mean, you know, that they, they just... I guess it's all come together where they, they're showing their athleticism mm-hmm. defensively, but this is a good team. And it just took finding some guys that could throw strikes to show off the athleticism and the defense. And I, I just think that that's the key to this whole thing. They they found guys that could throw strikes. They obviously had analytics that we all look at maybe on our computer screen, but there's different things that they do in their offices. Like Jay Happ is a fly ball pitcher. Go to Bush Stadium. You can get fly balls, you get mm-hmm. outs. Mm-hmm. They saw they saw something in John Lester. When they got LeBlanc, it was just a guy they needed to throw strikes. But they saw something in McFarland and Garcia. Those five moves, as much as you, you want to get on John Mozeliak and, and the front office for things that they've done, whether it's contract extensions or players that have been traded away, this is the one time, not one time, this is a, this is a time where you got to say, man, they made the right moves to put them in this position. Absolutely. I almost feel like I'm watching a different team than it I watched all season. It's unbelievable. We always knew that they had talent and that they were capable of more than what they were showing us. But to your point, they're throwing strikes. The walks have minimized. The offense has seemingly exploded. You've got 10 runs, five runs, eight runs, another eight runs, seven, seven, six. That's been unlocked. You're seeing consistency out of guys like Tyler O'Neill. You feel better about the bullpen. It's just every issue or concern we had about this team, they've seemingly figured it out. To me, it's a completely different team. It if is. You, if you mm-hmm. compare this team to where they were now, again, 
we're in the moment. We're instant reaction. They're winning 11 in a row. Sure. You're going to say it's a different team. But even if they go out and lose today or they lose the series this weekend, it's still a different team moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's a better team. And I'm sure from their perspective, the front office, they're probably saying, well, this is kind of what we thought if we could get yeah. people that threw strikes. Yeah. And now they're getting it. Yep. Last night, the Cardinals' win gets them 13 games over 500. When you win 11 in a row, by the way, starting pitcher starts to feel a little heat because of the momentum. Miles Michaelis recognizes that. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love feeling a little bit of the pressure there. Like, hey, don't you know? Don't drop the ball. Don't mess this up. Uh, we got a really nice streak going here. So, so I like having a little bit of pressure on me. I think it, you know, a little bit of pressure brings out the best in most. I think it brings out the best in me for sure. What do they say? What do they say? Pressure makes diamonds, right? Yeah. And that's what the Cardinals are getting right now. But Miles Michaelis, great inning from him. It's the first time he threw seven plus innings since 2019, exactly two years ago. So everyone is contributing. Every single person is contributing to this streak. Can you imagine if you get into a long series and you've got Miles Michaelis, let's just say that you win the wild card game and you go into uh, your series with whomever, and all of a sudden you advance after that. I mean, you've got now another weapon. Mm-hmm. If this is the guy that he's going to be in, and to me, it was two starts ago, he was able to locate his breaking ball against the Padres. It was finally sharp. And I guess we should have all, even though he had a long rehab and it took a long time to get back, we all should have expected that there's going to be rust. There was rust. But the other thing that he's doing He's hitting 95 now on his fastball. So he's able to, his his velocity has been increased here the last two starts. Breaking balls a lot sharper. And I would think big picture if I'm the Cardinals and I've got two more years wrapped up with a lot of money in him, it's not only about the now and how he's pitching, mm-hmm. but man, do I feel better going forward with him sh- showing that he can go every fifth day and be reliable and be good. No doubt. Oh, and by the way, guys, Jack Flaherty's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that'll and be Dakota fun. Hudson. And yeah. Dakota Hudson, yeah. yes. It's remarkable. So, as we mentioned, the Cardinals 13 over the Padres, and the Cardinals have 11 games left. Padres last night lost again to the Giants 8-6. to six. So the Padres are 76 and 75. They're a single game over, so they're done. The, the Reds were rained out last night. They're 78 and 74, and they obviously have a lot of work to do, and the Cardinals control their own destiny and Philadelphia now 78 and 74 after a win last night uh, over the Orioles four to three so those two teams are tied four and a half games behind the Cardinals and the Cardinals five ahead on the loss side with 11 to play what did Atlanta do the uh, Braves we get this you gotta keep an eye on them too now yeah uh, and obviously, Philadelphia wants to keep an eye on uh, what the Braves are doing. Atlanta is a 9 2 win over the Diamond. Okay. Yeah, they jumped out to an early lead. You yeah. see what happened with Duvall? Hit no. a home run and passed the uh, base runner, so it was a single. Oh, man. Oh. Oops. No. We were texting last night. He's obviously, he went to the Braves at the deadline, but he's got MVP numbers. Can you imagine how it worked out for him? <laughs> so he was DFA'd by the Atlanta Braves. Okay, so then he signed by my by by Miami. He got like four or five million bucks with it was a two year deal, like an option for seven million next year. The Braves needed help. So with a guy that they DFA, they had to go trade for him. And they went and so they went back yeah. and got him. He's got a few months later. homers and 110 RBIs or something like that. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, he's got a chance to be no one Look talks about him. No. But yeah, I, I think it'll go to Harper. 
the way that things have mm-hmm. gone, especially if they get into postseason, which I don't know if they are. But they do have three head-to-head with the Braves at the end of the season. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Blue Star training camp today over the Centene Ice Center and Thursday night football here on 101 ESPN tonight. The Carolina Panthers, they're 2-0 behind their quarterback, Sam Darnold. They'll take on the Houston Texans, who are going to start somebody named Davis Mills at quarterback. And that game is at 7:20, and you'll hear it here with the pregame at 7 on 101 ESPN. We've got a busy first hour. The Illini coach, Brett Bielma, at the bottom of the hour. And we're going to talk to Greg Amzinger at 745. Up next, though, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for an early edition of Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Michelle, Dan, Randy, Emily, we're all here. And John Gruden was asked about his owner, Mark Davis's hair, and the people that criticize that hair. And John Gruden said, I think that's a bunch of bullcrap. If you know Mark Davis, you like Mark Davis. And if you don't, you can have your own opinion. Sorry he wasn't as experienced as some of the owners, but he got here and he learned fast. He probably took some heat from some of those people, but he kept swinging, kept digging, and kept producing, and look where we are now. 2-0. Take it or leave it. Mark Davis, especially because he buys plane tickets to Los Angeles to get that haircut, deserves some criticism for it. Hmm... If I'm Mark Davis, first of all, I'm flying private. Yeah, not buying three seats on Southwest? No. So you can sleep across the aisle? Yeah, no doubt. You're Mark Davis. Fly private. Come on, man. You own an NFL team, you're flying private. And you're going from Vegas to L.A. quick flight? And also, Michelle, now tell me, uh, and Emily, being ladies that are very concerned about your hair. Oh, yes. um, You probably could find someone in Vegas especially Vegas, to do your hair right. Somebody that owns a bowl, if you want to do it that way. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's some kitchen scissors, a bowl. They could figure mm. it out. That's a good point, Randy. Yeah. Especially if you're John Gruden. Well, Mark yeah, Davis. But Mark, Mark Davis. Davis. Sorry, Mark sorry. Davis. I'm so looking at Teoli's. It could, um, is that his real hair? It's his real hair. Here's the thing, though. It is, really? I Mark appreciate Yeah, yeah no that's kidding. it. Okay. Captain Kangaroo. Because if not, cool. he would just he wouldn't need a haircut, right? Good It'd point. be a toupee. I appreciate that he's leaning into this. He said, this is my signature style. I refuse to abandon the kind of crooked bowl cut. And this is me. And I appreciate that he's leaning into his signature look. Do I think it looks good? No. Do I appreciate that he maintains it? Yes. I don't know, man. But think about it. If if Mark Davis showed up with long hair and a man bun or tried to change his look, it would not fit his persona. His hair is exactly representative of who we think he is. Hold on now. That's a good point. Does a tat look like it would fit Randy? Yes. Oh, really? You think that's Randy MC? Of course. You see Mark Davis's hair every day. But Randy's from the mean streets of Creep Core. Randy's Randy's a rapper. Of course he needs some ink. That is true. Yeah. People and don't the know chain. that side of Randy. And yeah. the, ch- so, uh, the chain. Yeah. So you're, you're taking it that he deserves a little bit of joking about his hair? Yeah, well, sure. Well, here's the thing, though. If you're the coach, you can't do that. Guy signed your checks. Right. Oh, yeah. He's not going to criticize. No, he no. He loves Mark Davis. Right. He's Mark Davis, the greatest thing ever. Yep. Signs the checks. 
Yeah, if I got 10 years, 100 mil, I love that haircut. No kidding. I'll do whatever you want. I'll cut my hair like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> whatever you want, guys. Um, so if you haven't heard yet, the Cardinals riding an 11-game win streak, guys. Ooh. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. Take it or leave it. Mike Schilt is in the manager of the year discussions. I'm going to leave that. I think I'm going to leave it, too. Now, uh, has he done a good job to get him to this point? Absolutely. Uh, did they look left for dead? Yes. Um, but he won it two years ago. And I think hands down, though, this year it's going to go to Gabe Kapler. No doubt about it. Yeah. yeah but he's in a discussion. Well, I don't even know if he's in the discussion. But just because it's such a late surge and they weren't fighting for the division championship. So I, I'm going to leave it. Yeah, I'm going to leave it, too. It's it's hard to put him in there. And, and in a strange case, because he won it two years ago, I think David Bell will probably get more consideration, who just signed an extension, than Schilte will. However, the Reds have dropped something like 15 of their last yeah, 22 down the stretch. Yeah. I think this is unanimous for Kapler. Yeah, I'm sure. I would have said first half, Jace Tingler. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But I was reading uh, the power rankings on ESPN.com this morning. And just Where are the Birdos? Number 12. Number 12. Really? Yeah. And Jesse Rogers suggests that Mike Schilt has been propelled into the manager of the year discussion. So I just wanted to get your take it, on it. Well, it's interesting. He's done I mean, a great job. He, he ha- I, now, if you really broke it down and said, okay, how have you done this? And they said, well, they, they went out and got Wade the Block. Hmm. (laughs) Okay, they got TJ McFarlane left for dead. Luis Garcia didn't have a spot. And then off the scrap heap, they went and got Jay Happ and John Lester. And now they're the hottest team in baseball. So that would, yeah, I mean, that might make you think. No Jack Flaherty. Right. That's another one. That's the big one. I think all the injuries. Yeah. Muva Sosa. Mm -hmm. uh, The fact that KK, Martinez. Oh, yeah, I forgot uh, about Martinez. Flaherty all were hurt. Michaelis. And now you're in this situation. Yeah, I think it would be interesting. Um, Okay, so my take it or leave it. Let's just assume the Cardinals are in the one game playoff. Okay. Would you rather face the Dodgers in a one game playoff or the Giants? I'm, and I know this may be. you know that people are like, "Are you crazy?" But I, I think you want to face the Dodgers in a one-game playoff. Well, I'm you're taking pla- that. You're planning on winning. I'm taking it. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want to face the Dodgers in a five-game series. No. <laughs> well, the thing is, then let's just assume that they can line up their pitching, and it's no foregone conclusion that they're going to be the ones that you face. Could be the Giants. It's a tight race in the in the West. That means Max Scherzer, who has been unhittable at times. Mm-hmm. We had a perfect game in the eighth. Two starts ago, he's got a .79 ERA, I think, in nine or ten starts. They haven't lost one of his starts since he got to L.A. I'm so assu- I would two. assume they go with Max Scherzer in that uh, game. Yeah. I, I would if I was them. <laughs> you know, I, I. it's just, it's a tough choice because I think that you have the one, in one game, anything can happen, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're going to face the Dodgers in five games and you're saying, okay, I got to face Bueller, Scherzer, Kershaw, Urias, Urias, uh, that's going to be really tough. Yeah. So one game, anything can happen. Five games, boy, you're asking a lot. Yeah. So I'll I'll take my chances with beating Scherzer and their bullpen. I mentioned to Michelle, that's one thing about right now, as we speak on September 23rd, the Cardinal bullpen is better than the Dodgers bullpen. I, I think so. I have seen a little cracks in the armor here recently with Garcia, mm-hmm. a little bit with McFarland. I, I would love nothing more than to see Wayno be able to uh, go eight today. Yeah. And you had a, a night off for your bullpen basically last night. You know, you, you used um, Miller and Miller, but you didn't have to use like the big six. It's yeah. now six guys that you have that I think you feel pretty comfortable with at any point in time. Yeah. And if you're playing in that park, you, you have to use Miller and Miller, right? 
at some point. What's American Family Field now? It's always Miller Park to us, though. Mm. Emily, what do we have on the text line? From the 314, take it or leave it, Wayna will pitch at least seven innings with six or more strikeouts and no runs tonight. I'll take that. Take it. Hmm. Seven innings, no runs? Six, seven innings with six or more strikeouts and no runs. Uh, I don't know about the no runs, but I will go seven innings. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. He goes seven innings. (laughs) He's now had 12 straight starts with at least six innings. That's amazing. It is. From the 314, take it or leave it, there will be at least one more no-hitter this season. I'll take it. Yeah, September, that tends to happen. Different September, though, where the rosters aren't every guy from AAA coming up and getting a look. So I think it's tougher now than it was even just a year ago, although this is the year of the Mm -hmm. no-hitter. From the 314, take it or leave it, we have sparked the Brewers' destruction, and they don't win another game until game 162. I'm going to leave that. I'm gonna oh, leave I'm going to leave that. I yeah. think they'll win more games. Yeah. That's a, it's a, and that's why I feel so good about this Cardinals team. You just take three in the row, uh, three in a row from the Brewers, who are a really good baseball team. Well, Brad made the point a couple of nights ago. We were on the on the game, and I am 100% behind what he says. It's not only winning 11, which is really hard to do in baseball. Baseball, as we all know, is just a weird game, and odd things happen where it makes it very tough to win 11 straight. To win 11 straight, to do it to where you are beating teams that are in contention, they're playing for something. Mm-hmm. So the 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 intensity is higher. The, the games mean more. Um, I mean, you go into City Field and basically ended the Mets season. Then you had over the weekend, you, you, may, you may have just ended the Padre season. Mm-hmm. Now you're going against a Brewers team whose magic number is still at three, so they cannot clinch in front of the Cardinals. I mean, it's these are hard games to win, and they're winning them. And and that's what has made, for me at least, the 11 games it, it just amazing to do it at this time of year where the money is on the line, not just for them, but for the other teams. Mm-hmm. That's what stands out about this winning streak. It's It's been un- unbelievable. It's been great. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Coming up next, we're going to head to Champaign. Brett Beal was fighting Illini. Take on Purdue this weekend. We'll preview that one. Get the latest from the coach next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman is here. Danny Mack is here. I'm Randy Carricker, and the Fighting Illini are at Purdue on Saturday. It's a 2.30 game, and we welcome the head coach of the Fighting Illini, Brett Bielma, to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Always good to talk to you, Coach. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Randy. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking some time, and uh, this would be a good one to get, a rivalry game against Purdue, and uh, I know that you want to get your team back on track. Absolutely, yeah. We... uh... Uh, obviously, the first time we go on the road is a Big Ten play. I uh, got one win, one loss uh, in Big Ten play, and this is a big one to you know play a divisional opponent. Uh, this is a trophy game with the the Cannon Trophy, so a lot of positive things for us to play for. And it's positive, Coach, that it seems like you're healthy for the first time all season. Doug Kramer's back, Josh McCray, Chase Brown, Keith Randolph, and you have Brandon Peters back in the fold. So it has to be nice for you to head into a game knowing that you have a lot of health on your side. You know, it has, um, you know, as the, as the year went on, we had some early injuries at key positions, um, you know, still get, uh, you know, bumps and bruises with the Big Ten play. But 
Uh, I thought our guys have kind of handled the moments as they've come at them uh, from an injury standpoint, at least. And uh, excited to see this group uh, get on the road and play a little Big Ten football. Coach, whenever we have injuries, we talk about players being able to stand behind during practice and take mental reps. How do Brandon Peters do in that regard? You know, uh, he kind of had the the advantage of he prepared all fall camp uh, and all the way into the uh, preparation of the Nebraska game as a starter. So he got a lot of reps during fall camp. Well, one of the things you're concerned about is obviously guys that haven't had a lot of reps, haven't had a lot of practice opportunities. So it's a kind of role reversal. But, um, you know, after that first week when he was able to get back out on the field, wasn't able to be cleared, he, he did a good job. A lot of times you'll see during practice our, our second and third string quarterback um, stand behind a huddle and take the mental rep from the snap to the to the read, to the uh, execution. And, uh, you know, the only thing that BP uh, that really was new for him it was the first time uh, this past weekend in the uh, Maryland game that he had gone through an entire uh, game with us as coaches uh, as, a, as a starting quarterback from the first quarter uh, through the fourth quarter and uh, learned a lot of valuable lessons, I think. Uh, but also as coaches, we learned a lot about him. Coach, what do you expect him to build on this weekend? You know, I think the critical areas, right? So, um, you know, we always talk about early downs, right? So first and second down, we want to play ahead of the chains. Uh, Purdue is a very aggressive defense. They play uh, a lot of pressures on, on first and second down. Obviously, everybody gets creative on third down. Uh, the players around him got to play well, right? So he's got to uh, have confidence in his tight ends, his wide receivers, his running backs, obviously, in his protection. Uh, I think this is a big step uh, for us, right, from uh, a standpoint of the backup quarterback uh, was our starter for three weeks, and now – uh, BP's back in that lineup, and we just want him to play a little bit more continuous uh, uh, execution from the first quarter to the last snap, and how many ever snaps it takes on Saturday to win the game. Brett Bielma, head coach of the Fighting Illini, with us on Carriker and Smallman. And, and coach, we always like to talk about your St. Louis guys, and Isaiah Williams, we've talked about him making the move from quarterback to wide receiver. I watch him play, and it's a pretty remarkable move. Not only does he lead your team in receptions and yards, you tell me, uh, it seems like he makes big catches, too. And when people know you're going to Isaiah Williams, he still makes the play. It's exciting to see him grow. Um, He's a guy that uh, definitely takes advantage of every day. He's a very serious, uh, very focused young man. Um, You know, really gets the football IQ side of it. Uh, Is a guy that, you know, because of his quarterback background experience, he's uh, locked into every read, every key, and uh, trying to understand things before the snap. Uh, and then another uh, St. Louis guy that's uh, continued to do well for us, Reggie Love, um, has stepped into a, a, a running back role with, with uh, um, the uh, injury of our other couple running backs. And then excited to get Shimon Cooper, a guy that's from the St. Louis area, heavily recruited kid uh, from a few years back. We're going to get him involved in the game plan this week. And uh, St. Louis is being represented in a very positive way. Love it. We love that, Coach. Well, after the UTSA game, I flagged this. I loved post game that you said that the worst thing that can happen from this point forward is if we don't learn from this moment. Up until this point in the season, what has your team learned? You know, Michelle, I think, you know, twofold. First, uh, you know, just being through this first season together as coaches, right? We've asked them to do some things, offense, defense, special teams. It's complete opposite of what they have kind of learned in the past, different schematic uh, uh, personnel, um, different execution on downs. Um, that's the, the football side of it. And, then the, you know, the biggest thing that we talked about uh, really after the UTSA Virginia win is, you know, trying to improve in two critical areas that have really everything to do with their mental approach, right? So it's really responding to adversity and the confidence will win, right? And I, I like the fact that they took a stride, step in the right direction. Obviously, it's a 60-minute game that we did a lot of really good things for about 55, 56 minutes, and unfortunately weren't able to close this baby out as, as 
as coaches, we can definitely help them get to that point as well. So we're all kind of working in the right direction. A lot of positives, a lot of young players doing good things, but uh, we got a long way to go to get where we want to be. Brett, when uh, when you put together a team at the college level, uh, the the great ones, and you're a great one, recruit to your scheme. And obviously, you got a, a group of players that you inherited this year. When Brett Bielma has his group, what's that look like? What what does that football team look like? What's the identity? I think you know, for us, we're always going to you know put a, a huge emphasis on um, tough, smart, dependable players, right? So um, if they have toughness mentally and physically. Um, uh, if they're smart, right, so they have great football IQ, football awareness, and they're dependable, right? They can count on their teammates. Uh, their coaches can depend on them. I think that's big. But the part that I really enjoyed, you know, uh, going to our first game, right, the defensive player of the game with, uh, was a guy by the name of C.J. Hart who was a Big Ten player of the week. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL in the fourth quarter, right, and, and we weren't able to, you know, get him past that first game. But it was a sign of here's a guy that was the first grad, that was the first transfer I brought in the program. Now, a guy like Josh McCray, right? So one of our – the only guy that I signed uh, in the high school class uh, when I first got here, the very first player uh, that actually committed to me was Josh McCray. And he's a guy that I think, you know, through these first first four games has really emerged as an electric, exciting uh, player that can, you know, hopefully bring forward a lot of energy and, and hopefully a lot of wins in the future. So we just got to continue to recruit, show that the players that we're bringing in here have an immediate effect on this program and things will go in our right direction hopefully sooner than later. Hey, Coach, you mentioned the word dependable, and your first job was as a graduate assistant at Iowa, 94-95. Is finding that dependable player in 2021 different than it was in 94-95? Are there as many dependable young men out there for your football team to to get them to play? I think there is. You just got to obviously find the ones that fit what you are, what you do. Um, You know, for instance, in the St. Louis area, I've been in there uh, several times as a Head coach previously at both Wisconsin and Arkansas and had a lot of great relationships. Um, as people see and understand what we put an emphasis on, sometimes coaches and players uh, really can see the things that maybe the general public doesn't see because they focus in on, on what makes things great. How do they how do they get to where they want to be? So uh, for us, I know it's frustrating. <laughs> Michelle's an alum, right? Like I, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to believe me. And nobody wants that more than players and coaches, but for us to get to where we want to be, we want to make sure the uh, the ground level, right, the foundation of what we're building is the right things. Rome wasn't built in a day, Coach. <laughs> uh, well, you're heading to West Lafayette this weekend. As you've been scouting Purdue, what do you need to do as you go into this game to take home the cannon this weekend? You know, the, offensively, they, um, you know, are a very explosive type offense. Uh, no matter what quarterback's in there, it, it doesn't really matter. They play a a type of offense that they try to spread the ball around, try to get the ball vertically. A couple of very dynamic receivers do a nice job in the in the running game. Uh, defensively, they made transition a year ago. He basically removed his whole uh, defensive staff and has put a group in there that is very aggressive, uh, uh, multiple uh, looks, multiple pressures, try to put as much pressure on an offense as humanly possible. So there's a lot of things that uh, we've had to prepare for this week. The biggest thing that we have going for us, right, is, uh, it, it's about the 11 on Saturday uh, uh, from them and 11 from us. Uh, it doesn't matter any teams from the past or present or past that's going to be out there. You know, it's kind of interesting. They're honoring their 2000 uh, Rose Bowl team, right? And, and uh, Drew Brees will be there, and there'll be a lot of hoopla around that. And the thing I've kind of stressed to our guys is, hey, all that matters is is really the you know the 11 guys that show up on Saturday to play each other. So I'm very excited about the opportunity and hopefully get a step in the right direction. Coach, good luck. Go get the Boilermakers. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon.
Thank you very much, ILL. I&I. Thanks, Coach. See you, Coach. That is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the Fighting Illini, Purdue on Saturday, and then a home game against Charlotte on October 2nd. That's Foundation Weekend. And then on October 9th, homecoming against his former team, Wisconsin. So a busy schedule coming up for Brett Bielma, who has done a great job of making inroads with coaches in the St. Louis area, just like Eli Drinkwitz has. And... Hey, that'd be, that will be a great program to go play for. The Illini are on the rise under Brett Bielma. I've always liked him. Oh, I have too. Uh, I get a kick out of him, especially when he was in the SEC. Mm-hmm. He let it rip a little bit, and then he had it going <laughs> at Wisconsin. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes you, you lose the, I guess the, uh, what's the rose off the bloom, the bloom off the rose. Bloom off the rose, yeah. yeah. You know, after he went to Arkansas and things weren't great there, but he's really good. And that's the thing is that he had it rolling in the Big Ten for a while. Um, I am curious, what what have the crowds been like at Illinois? Have they been decent? I know that their home game versus Nebraska was pretty strong. Yeah. It was a little less in, in weeks following, but after you lose to UTSA, I think a lot of... Yeah. The student section was actually pretty impressive, but I think it's going to take a while for them to be consistently packed. Yeah. I mean, last year with no crowds, it's, you know, like some of the SEC schools had crowds, and now in the Big Ten, you are you were totally shut down last year with crowds, so I'm just curious if if people are just dying to get back out there and yeah. go watch football and i wonder if you have to be great when you look now every illini game is on tv pretty much every mizzou game last week's game against SEMO was online but you can find a way to watch the game you don't have to be there anymore dan when we were growing up you if you wanted to see mizzou you had to go oh you had to go yeah. and there was no chance to see no. it on tv no None. and that's just not the case anymore well no. and i think what we've learned here with the cardinals uh, there's no passionate fan base like the BFIB, but when the team is not entertaining, people find other things mm-hmm. to do. People don't want to spend their money or their time watching a team that they might not find entertaining or that they don't think will win. And I think for Illinois, you haven't really had that feeling in a long time. That's why I was really impressed with the crowd that showed up in the first game versus Nebraska, but they had a lot of things going. It was Brett Bielma's first game. It's a Big Ten game. It was the, it was week zero, so they were kind of in the national spotlight there. Sean Evans, who's my friend who hosts Hot Ones, was there, and there was a special hot sauce they were giving out at the game. So there was a lot of stuff happening to bring people there. I, I just wonder in the entertainment business in general, not just sports, but like I, I've talked to people who have gone to concerts and they're like shocked that it's not sold out. I think it's it's going to take and it is we're starting to see it come back, right. but just get it back in the habit of of buying tickets, huge part of it, and going out and feeling comfortable to go out. I do yeah. think that's a massive part of what's happening. Coming up on 101 ESPN, Greg Amzinger was in town over the weekend to enjoy a little bit of the Cardinal winning streak, and he joins us next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It was very cool to see Greg Amzinger this weekend as the Cardinals took on the Padres and he was in town for a Lindenwood game as well. And now he joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Greg, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I, I, I had a great time. That was so much fun. The college football atmosphere at Lindenwood was unlike anything I ever experienced. Probably anything either one of you guys that went to Lindenwood ever experienced. Tons of fans. It was really great. Uh, new president, John Porter, is doing a great job there. And then going to a Cardinal game uh, and watching the, the Redbirds continue this run was just fascinating. We had cool seats and uh, 
my friends ate more Italian sausages than I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Randy, I know you were alarmed. It was it was really crazy. It was crazy but impressive. I, I really do yeah. appreciate that. And Mike Ritter, he's the champ, and he might not ever be surpassed. That was really impressive. <laughs> he had five. <laughs> five. So, with a bun. And then the other buddy of mine, Joe, wasn't putting any condiments on it. So he was shoving them down dry. I, man, it was... <laughs> It was a sight to behold. Thanks for the invite, guys. We yeah. knew where you were. We were looking yeah, up. Yeah, Dan, I mean, come on, man. We were, we, we, you're VIP, bro. We're just trying to get into the game. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Waving. It's a little different. Yeah. All right, man. I mean, so, you're a card-carrying member of the B-Fibs, whatever. I, I got to <laughs> make this point <laughs> because I, I know, Dan, people come up to you, Michelle, Greg, people come up to you outside of our environment and say, hey, I know you don't want to talk sports, but... Greg Amzinger and I sat there and talked baseball for nine innings. It's, that's what, that's all I can talk about. Dude, I, I had to apologize to my friends, Randy, because it, I, I tell them, like, look, I, I don't get to hang out with Randy ever. And you guys, we, we correspond a lot. My friends, my good friends from college, well, we text back and forth all the time. But Randy's busy working in opposite hours as I do. His show's in the morning. My show's late at night. So when we finally get to catch up, we were two chatty Cathy's that didn't stop talking about Tatis and the Rams lawsuit. And no matter what it was, we just we did a nine-inning TV show. We did. I mean, seriously, we could have sold that. People would have, like, eavesdropped. I mean, we could have made some money, man. We, we blew it. I would have watched. There's no doubt. Um, Greg, I just kind of want to put this on a tee and let you have the floor. 11 in a row for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your thoughts? It's incredible. I got to tell you, uh, we had this conversation in, in so many different moments on MLB Network. What is happening? Why are they so good? Yes, the additions of Lester and Happ and that veteran, uh, I don't know, the surplus of veteran presence. But if you went into this season and you wondered what the weak spot of the Cardinals was, this is my humble opinion. It's not knowing we're going to get out of the young outfield. Not knowing, right? Now, what was a potential weakness is a strength because O'Neill, Bader, Carlson are all playing as of right now in the last two to three weeks. They're playing like all-stars. All three of them are. So you add what was a potential weakness to the stability of Wayno and Yachty and Arnado and Goldschmidt. You, you add all of that together. And this is what the team could be. And this is what John Mozeliak was hoping they would turn out to perform like. And, and it is incredible to watch the athleticism, the two-run sack fly. I mean, Randy and I, we immediately started texting each other and geeking out over that because we immediately went to 1982 mm-hmm. and Ozzy scoring from second base in Game 4 of the World Series. That kind of athleticism we haven't seen in a long time. Harrison Bader brings that. Watching Dylan Carlson, Carlson in the game that we went to, first pitch, robbing Fernando Tatis, setting the tone. This outfield with Tyler O'Neill as the best player right now on the team. Right now, best player on the team. That mix is what's happening. Peaking at the right time. And there's not – if you're the Giants and if you're the Dodgers, they keep winning. I know the Dodgers lost last night because they don't want a piece of the Cardinals. You don't want to face the hottest team in baseball in a one-game playoff. You know, Greg, I don't think Tommy Edmond has got enough credit. Now, you look at the beginning of the season, I, I think that he kind of saved their bacon because he had to go to the outfield when these outfielders were – hurt um and i look at him play second and especially in the series over san diego his defense was outstanding and there are times you you watch him and you go that's 
Well, we saw that with Colton Wong. And then you look at his numbers. He's got 41 doubles. He might lead the league in stolen bases, and he's getting in front of those big three guys. Um, I, I just think he's kind of flying under the radar for just how good he has been this year. You know, last week when I was on the show, Dan, I said it was imperative that they get someone uh, producing a leadoff spot. Tommy Edden started doing that a couple weeks ago. His on-base percentage isn't what people look at and go, ooh, prototype. It's not over 350. It might not ever be uh, by the way he plays the game, but I think he's going to get better. He, in some ways, is the Cardinals' secret weapon, what Jose Okendo meant to the Cardinals back in the day, the defensive versatility, what Matt Carpenter brought to the club when he started to find his way in St. Louis. It is important. You're going to see him have crucial at-bats because I know I love making predictions. I don't see this team being one and done. I do not see this team being one and done. And the thing we haven't talked about, I'm sure you guys do it all the time on your show, but the role Jack Flaherty will play in an October, this October, could be a game changer for the World Series aspirations of this team. If he's coming out of the bullpen and he looks good and we know he's got the moxie in the this could be scary. The Cardinals are a team right now that has everything brewing at the right time. And I, I just can't see whether it's the Giants. And I know Max Scherzer's got a 2.0 ERA. But I, I roll the dice. I, I like the way the Cardinals are playing right now. I'm caught up in it. And I just don't see them being one and done. And, Greg, I can envision a scenario where you have to pull Michaelis or you do pull Michaelis after three and two-thirds, and you bring in T.J. McFarland to get Brandon Belt to finish off the fourth, and then you can get Flaherty ready for, to start a clean fifth and sixth. He, he could really be – remember K-Rod in 2 He could be oh that kind of yeah. a pitcher. Yes, K Rod is the greatest September call up of all time. I did a list on on this topic uh, just a couple days ago. He changed the Angels by the way he came in and high leverage situations in the postseason and was untouchable. Jack Flaherty, max effort. Don't you want to see that? I mean, obviously going forward, he he's the ace of the Cardinals for years to come. But in a situation like this, to see what this guy does, max effort for two innings. Oh my goodness, his stuff is already top five in the game. Already top five in the game. And if he's really humping up and trying to punch everybody out, I mean, you're talking about dominance. Then you throw Alex Reyes. Well, I like the way he's pitching now that he's not in the ninth inning. And what I've said for years, guys, in October, swing and miss plays. You need it in your bullpen. And now the Cardinals have it. They have a lot of swing and miss. If Flaherty comes out as a weapon, that is a lot of strikeout potential, and the Cardinals could be really dangerous. Hey, Greg, I want to touch on who the Cardinals might play, and it's not uh, who do you hope they play or anything like that. I just want to touch on this this Giants-Dodgers race because this is epic, and if people haven't been paying attention, they have a week and a half to, to pay attention. The Giants could win 106, 107. Dodgers could win 104, 105, and one of them, obviously, is going to have to play in the wild card game. We just don't see races like this never ever and then when you look at how much money the two teams have spent on the product it's night and day i mean the giants yeah i get so much heat right now from san francisco giant fans i've been on your show saying i'm not buying it for i mean i look i've been wrong i'm wrong but everyone in the world's been wrong and i, I kind of went off and somebody tweeted about it on our show last night I'm like okay giant fans show me your podcast 
Show me the statements. What article did you write in spring training where you said this San Francisco Giants team's looking good? I think they're going to win 106. No one, no one in their right mind thought this team could do this. So the fact that the Giants came out of nowhere, they have matched the Dodgers. The Dodgers, I think they said this at 34 and 12 in their last 46 games. 34 and 12, the Dodgers, and they picked up two games in the standings. Wow. That's it. You go 34 and 12 and you can't run a team down. I mean, it is, they have really not both have been the biggest stories in the national league and in baseball, in my opinion, uh, the giants, no matter how many games they win, they could win out, Randy, they could win out and Vegas will favor whoever they play in every postseason series. Yep. That is my prediction. Greg, another big storyline in baseball is what's happening with the Rays and the Blue Jays. Fair or foul for Kevin Kiermeyer to scoop up that scouting card that fell out of Kirk's wristband, and fair or foul for them to plunk him the next game? Listen, if that was a $20 bill that fell out of Kirk's pocket, then he's a bad guy for picking it up and keeping it, because that's just weird. Come on, man, give him his money back. But this is intel that is trying to get Kevin Kiermeyer and all of his friends out. So I'm sorry if Tom Brady dropped his little flip card that had all their plays on the ground and a defensive end picked it up. Hey, Tom, 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 you dropped something, buddy. No. If, look, if you didn't study your homework, right? And you need a cheat sheet when you go into the classroom and it falls out of your out of your pocket. Does the teacher pick it up and go, oh, you forgot this. Here you go. No. Dude, I know you're not cheating per se, and everyone's allowed to bring that intel out there, but you have every right. Once you step between those lines, it is fierce competition. The other team's not trying to help you out. That's not how it works. So, and the other thing that bothered me, we're talking about the wrong team here. The Toronto Blue Jays dropped it. Their guy dropped it. So who do you send over to go get it? A bat boy? The the lowest dude on the totem pole has to walk over to the Rays dugout and have an uncomfortable conversation. No, 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 no. The the Blue Jays played this incorrectly. You send Kirk. Alejandro Kirk has to walk over. Hey, guys, I know I dropped it. Give it back to me. Let's see what happens when he does that. I have no problem with guys competing against each other. For what Kevin Kiermaier did, I do the exact same thing. Carlos Pena went off on me on TV. He's like, I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> you, you pick it up, you give it back to him. No. If there's information on how you're going to get me out on it and you drop it in front of me, I'm taking that with me. You better start studying again, Alejandro Kirk. I had no problem with it. Again, if he dropped money – Pick it up and give it back to him because money's not trying to get you out. But this intel is trying to cost you money. Your batting average is going to drop. So, no, I'm totally fine with what the Rays did. I mean, the fact that Kieran Kiermaier was shocked that he got hit. Come on, man. And then he said after the game, I was expecting to get hit with the first step at. Why? The Blue Jays are playing meaningful baseball right now. The game isn't decided yet. They're not putting you on base. But once it was 7-1, to one, expect to get drilled between the 3 and the 9 on your back. And he did. And then you got the pitcher going after the game. Yeah, I just slipped out of my hand. There's so many liars in this baseball game. It was hilarious. So, no, it was... I have no problem with what Kevin Kiermeyer did. I would have done the exact same thing. Great stuff, as always. By the way, one other quick note here, and I'll, I'll give credit to Eduardo Perez. He said this this morning on MLB Network Radio. Can you imagine if Brucky would have hit Kiermeyer, they would have had a brawl, and a, a, somehow Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would have been thrown down and injured a shoulder? I mean, that can happen every single day, though. I mean, honestly, you know, I, I, I have no qualms with hitting him. If Kevin Kiermeyer, if you do that, 
then yeah, you're, you're a target for them. So yeah, I mean, Blue Jays are playing meaningful baseball, and now they he's going to get. So when you when, when you have a pitcher suspended, that's one less pitcher on your roster. And here you are with around ten mm-hmm. games to play, and you've got a shortened roster. So yeah, that did hurt them, and we'll see if it has any kind of impact as they try to get into the wild card game. Greg, it was great to see you. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great day. You playing golf today? Uh, it's raining. We got oh. flash flood watch again. Yeah, what's going on, man? I mean, holy smokes, the Northeast. Give me a break with the weather. Yeah, really. No doubt. So, well, I hope, it gets, hope the weather gets better for you and you can find yourself out to the links. Have a great day. <laughs> right, see you guys. See you, brother. That is Greg Amsinger, Lindenwood product, native of St. Louis, on Character and Smallman and Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. One of the peaks of every week is chatting with Greg. He's the best. Next up, the Cardinals did knock off the Brewers 10-2. They've won 11 in a row. And now they've got Adam Wainwright on the mound to face the Brewers today looking for a dozen. That's next. Our fresh take on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Computer issue, computer issue. It happens sometimes. We rely on computers. Emily's trying to make this work, and it's going to happen momentarily. Hold on. If she has it, I think we should do it. You want to just do it? Let's go. Here we go. Here do we it. go. Do it. Do it. Do it. And O'Neill jumps on it. it in the air. Deep right center came back with the catch. Both runners tagging up and here comes one. Here comes another. How about that? Speed kills. And the curveball is popped up. Left side. Arenado giving chase. Oh, what a play. Nolan Arenado. He holds on. Went over the tarp. And goalie Hits it out to deep left. How far? I told you he was doing that baby is number 27 as he launched it out to left. The 0-1 pitch. Tyler O'Neill under it. Count him up. 11 straight for the St. Louis Cardinals and win number 82. They're 82 and 69 and looking for a sweep behind Wayno tomorrow. 8.07, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, Dan, Randy, great to have you with us. 11 in a row. Today, the Cardinals will go for a dozen cousin against the Brewers. <laughs> I can't believe we're even having this conversation that the Cardinals are going for their 12th win in a row versus the Brewers with a potential series sweep of the Brewers on deck today. Have you ever done a 12-game winning streak? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, in 01, I guess it was... Would they win 10 that year? 11. 11, okay. Yeah, so this has matched that. And I I don't think they've had 12 for... uh, Man, I don't know when the last time they had 12. The the record is 14, which was set back in 1935. Yeah, they may have had 12 in 1982. Let me double check here. I saw it on the graphic on Bally in the postgame last night. I forget the actual year, but it was in in the 50s to 70s range. It's been a minute. We'll we'll find that for you. But so it's, it's been a while. Pretty it's remarkable. Been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. And more good things are happening for this team beyond the fact that they've won 11 in a row, beyond the fact that they're in really good shape in the National League wildcard race. They're going to get Jack Flaherty back on Friday uh, in the doubleheader against the Cubs. Here is the skipper of the Cardinals, Mike Schilt. 
Yeah, that, that happened. Um, Jack, you know, again, he's going to go play catch, so we always reserve a right um, for for change. But, you know, Jack's going to be able to get back and, and start the second game, and uh, we'll see what his volume will be like. But he'll be the game two starter in Chicago. So there's more momentum in that regard. And then uh, not to be overlooked is Dakota Hudson, who is stretched out as a starter. And uh, obviously you could get uh, multiple innings from him. Be interesting to see what they do with Flaherty. It's going to be like 15 pitches, 20 pitches, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But, you know, last night helped by going long in the game. Wayno, if he goes long today, you should feel covered then with the 14 innings that you have to cover uh, tomorrow at Wrigley. So getting Flaherty back, getting Hudson back, it's just everything kind of falling into place right now. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Jack does too, how they're using him as an opener, how long of a leash he in fact gets. But when you think about the fact that it's Friday and Jack Flaherty is going to start to get back to where he used to be and that the Cardinals are riding this wave. Oh, and Dakota Hudson is getting back in the mix. It's it's kind of unbelievable. All of this is just I don't even really know how to process because it feels like just yesterday we had already turned the page. and We were talking about 2022. Now we're talking about two potential huge pieces of your rotation coming back to a team that's a postseason team riding an 11 game win streak. It's unbelievable. And the skipper, as you might imagine, pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, anytime we get a guy like Jack who's on pace for an all-star and, you know, Cy Young type season back is a great thing. So, um, you know, we'll take what we can get. And right now we'll get a start at, um, with some, you know, capacity on Friday. So it's a, it's a real positive to see a guy like that back on the mound for us. I think what's interesting about this is that it does fall into place to allow him to start. Um, and then after this, how is he going to be used? Yeah. Because they're going to be really cautious with him, even in the moment of trying to win in, in 2021. You've got so much invested future-wise, potentially with him, to where he's the anchor of your rotation. You, you just you want to be very, very careful. Now, he has been a starter his entire time in St. Louis. And so there's a... There's a routine, there are creatures of habit, there's the side sessions, there's all those things that go into being a starter as opposed to saying, okay, you're going to piggyback, but even that is different because the game, I mean, like KK is a great example. KK literally had it down to the minute of when he'd be out on a on a home start, of when he would start to get loose, start to run, start to stretch, start to throw, and then all of a sudden it's game time. It's just, you, you got to be careful with that, and I don't know... And I guess we'll find out going forward. But with Flaherty, you know, can he come in out of a bullpen? Do they feel comfortable doing that? Does he want to do that and and feel comfortable physically doing that? So, again, it's putting the cart before the horse, but it is something to think about going into next week. And, Dan, you've seen this for years. Guys that haven't pitched in the bullpen before, especially if you're coming off of an injury, a shoulder injury like he is, you don't want to warm him up during an inning. Every time Jack Flaherty pitches, it should be at the beginning of an inning, and it should be defined when he's going to pitch. Yeah, I I think so. I I think you want to start the inning clean. Uh, Jake Woodford's a a good example of just he's better as a starter with that routine. Now, you can make the case that he's better because he's got confidence and he went down to AAA and worked and refined some things, and that's very true. However, when you look at the big picture of it, he's used to being a starter. It's just not easy sometimes for these guys that have been doing it their entire career to say, all of a sudden, I'm going to go in the bullpen and say, okay, I'm getting loose, now I'm ready. It just doesn't happen like that. Not all the time. Sometimes it does, and maybe it will happen with Flaherty. We just don't know. Want some weird memory stuff? Always. This is just the way it works for me. Uh, 1982, 
I'm in college and five guys load up in my 1977 Cutlass for a Blues playoff game in Chicago. We drive up as the Cardinals win their eighth in a row against Philadelphia. We paint our hair blue, and we're all wearing our blues gear, and we're so loud. And the blues were down, I think, 5-1 going into the third, and they wound up losing the game, I think, 6-5. to five. <laughs> uh, and, and then we come home, and I'm even though the blues lost, I'm happy because the Cardinals won their eighth in a row. Uh, week later, my future wife and I have our very first date as the Cardinals win their 11th in a row against Philadelphia. And I'm, during the entire date, thinking, what, the, what are the Cardinals doing? What are the Cardinals doing? So as we left a restaurant, went to a movie and stuff, I've got to hear what the Cardinals are doing. And then the next day, they won their 12th in a row in 1982. And then uh, they finally lost on Sunday, April 25th at Philadelphia. So 12 in a row in April of 1982 for your Redbirds. So life was pretty good for old Randy Carricker at that time. That was, yeah. Met a great girl. The Cardinals were surging. Road trip with the boys to watch the Blues play. Yeah. Your hair was dyed. Pretty awesome. And it was the kind of stuff that where you could just wash the blue right out of your hair. But it was cool. I guess you can still get this somewhere. So you washed it before the date. Oh, yeah. The date was a week later. So we went up on Sunday, and then first date was on the following Friday. How was the uh, date at... Was it McDonald's? What did oh, you no, do? Rich and Charlie's. We oh, talked about that's Rich right. and Charlie's that's right. before. Rich yeah. and Charlie's. Yeah. That's good. Then we went and saw a movie. I also love that you were kind of preoccupied with what the Cardinals were doing yeah. on your first date with your future the wife. Thing like, is, let though, her know who you are at the beginning. There was no phones, though. That's true. So he would good have point. to go out into uh, his car and turn on the radio. Yep. Oh, yeah. He couldn't even go to the bathroom right. and check yep. his phone. Uh-huh. Good call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't even think about Those that. Those are the things that we dealt with, Michelle. Yeah, so you did you go out to the car? Is this what you were doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then subsequently... What movie did you see? Victor Victoria. Okay. Good memory. Subsequently... I knew uh, he'd remember. Uh, uh, honeymoon, uh, Big Red Niners in San Francisco. So... And it's been the same way ever since. <laughs> no Your kidding. wife is an angel, Randy. She is an angel. She knows what she got into. That's so right, Dan. That's how I remember the 12-game winning streak. To tell, to make a short story long, that's how I remember the 12-game winning streak. So do they get 12 today? What do you guys think? I feel good about Wayno. I always feel good about Adam Wayne, right? And I feel great about the way this team's playing. Wayno's coming up later today, right? Yes. Yes, he is. Let me give you... Uh, uh, did you have Doug Bear on the show recently? No, you had one of those relievers from the mid-80s. I don't remember who it was. Was it Doug Bear? No, it was uh, it was a right-hander. Yeah. Um, Maybe from the 85 team. I don't remember. No, I think it was 82, 82? 85. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll find it. But in that game where the Cardinals won their 12th in a row, Andujar went six innings, allowed four runs. Doug Bear came on with a scoreless inning and got the win. And then Suter with a two-inning save as the Cardinals won their 12th in a row. Coming up on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The fight coming up at the bottom of the hour. And then Jeremy Rutherford will talk about the start of Blues Camp today. Our Blues Insider from The Athletic at 845. But right now... You're killing me, Smalls. So we got a bit of news on the Rams slash NFL slash Stan Kroenke slash St. Louis lawsuit yesterday. Randy, you and Ben Fredrickson and the Post-Dispatch have been all over this case. This is from Robert Patrick over at the Post-Dispatch. So the Missouri Supreme Court yesterday refused to block an order 
requiring Stan Kroenke and other NFL officials to turn over financial records um, in regards to this lawsuit. These include records that involve their sports franchises, management groups, his winery, and other businesses, as well as his wife's financial dealings. And as we know, his wife owns Walmart. She's a Walmart heiress. And the lawyers for Stan Kroenke have argued, and this was part of their case here, that these entities were not involved in the Rams' relocation and that it's invasive, so they shouldn't have to turn over every document pertaining to his fortune, and the courts blocked it yesterday. Stan Kroenke and his attorneys and the NFL and their attorneys have a problem in that the judge here in St. Louis is following the law. So when they go to a higher court, an appeals court, they lose because the judge is following the law. And that's a problem they'll run into if they lose an appeal, well, when they lose, and appeal this case is that the judge has followed the law. And that's basically what judges do. They look at precedent and they base base their decisions upon what the law is. Now, Kroenke can make that argument, but the argument is this. What sort of remuneration would be available for punitive damages when the jury determines that Kroenke and the league were in the the wrong? And they need to have an idea of what the value is of the people that they're trying to cause to deter this happening again. That's at the crux of this case. How do we prevent another city from losing their franchise like we lost the Rams? Where can we make it hurt and how can you make it hurt? If you charge an entity that has $500 billion, a billion dollars, eh, big deal. But if you hit them for four or $5 billion, then that's much more significant. I also am pretty sure that they're frustrated that unlike the relocation guidelines that the law cannot be bent or at least that the people mm-hmm. involved in passing judgment on these things are refusing to bend the law because it feels like every other step of this process for the NFL they've been ever they've been able to bend or break whatever they wanted to reach their ultimate goal for many years the league and maybe rightfully so, has thought that they were the most powerful entity in America, that they were bigger than the U.S. House of Representatives, the Senate, the president, because they've gotten their way every single time. Well, now St. Louis has a tiger by the tail because they're winning. And it's going to be really fun to watch the NFL and specifically Stan Kroenke. We are going to see him squirm, but will his actions like going to the Missouri Supreme Court, his actions give the impression of one that's really squirming. So he is valued. Forbes, I think, had him valued at $10.7 mm-hmm. billion. So how much can you get of that? What is, what's the talk of, you know, there was others uh, in this lawsuit, other owners also being asked, Jerry Jones, most prominent, I would think, mm-hmm. of revealing their net worth essentially so they don't want to go down that road randy so what 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 do you think that uh, they're asking for what do you think happens well right now it's pretty clear in the lawsuit that's been filed the request of st louis right now hovers around four billion dollars now you never know with punitive damages where a jury could go. We do know that some of the highest awards in America are delivered by St. Louis City juries. Maybe some method to the madness in terms of filing the case in the city. I have no idea what 
uh, punitive damage total could be. There was one guy, a, a lawyer from Florida, who said they could be as high as 10 to $15 billion. I don't know if a jury would go there, and I don't know if that would be held up. That's one thing that an appeals court can say is that's pretty exorbitant, that that amount of punitive damages. So they could change that. But I would say at a minimum, we're looking at $2 billion And it, just in terms of the valuation for damages, $4 billion. But then punitive damages, you never know. When we had talked about this, I, I believe it was a few weeks ago, the last time there was any movement on this case, you had suggested that you didn't think NFL owners outside of Kroenke had really been paying attention to this. Mm-hmm. Do you think now that this request was denied and you're having owners and the league having to turn over pretty personal financial statements that they didn't want to be out in the public sphere, now that this has happened, do you think the other owners are starting to panic a There's little bit? absolutely no doubt. When you think of how protective the NFL is of their financial information, the only financial information that we get from the NFL is from the Packers because they're a public entity and they have to provide that information to their shareholders. Otherwise, and shareholders aren't allowed anymore in the NFL. The Packers were grandfathered in. But that's the only financial information we get from the league. There's a reason that these owners are so protective of their financial information. So, yeah, I have to believe that the likes of Jerry Jones and Steve Viscotti and the the, the Tisch family up in New York and the Rooney family in Pittsburgh, I would think that they're all probably a little bit perturbed by the idea of their financial information coming out. Do you think it's important then for the league especially with the showcase of the stadium in L.A. for the Super Bowl to get this done and say, let's put this thing behind us because, you know, the national media will be all over that Mm -hmm. if if it gets to that point. And it's going to come up right around playoff time, Super Bowl time. Do you think it's in their? Do you think they're saying it's in our best interest to get this thing settled and let's just move on? I think they will try. As far as I know, as of late last week, St. Louis had not heard from the league at all. But I would think that there is probably a settlement idea forthcoming, a a package. But I don't get the sense that St. Louis is really interested in settling at this point. I think they want to make the NFL squirm. If if you're St. Louis, why would you settle? You've been winning every step of the way. You're in a pretty powerful position right now. Is this about exposing them to? You think? Well, ultimately, the suit was filed so that we could prove that St. Louis isn't what Stan Kroenke and his attorney said it was. This is all the issue of St. Louis getting ripped to shreds by that relocation proposal. And uh, that guy who did the book report on St. Louis and told the owners, well, St. Louis City is all of St. Louis. It all comes back to him forgot the guy's name, but an attorney, I think he still lives here. His son works for the Rams now. But it all comes back to St. Louis getting ripped by the Rams and the NFL on the way out the door. Mm. How are they exposing them in, in terms of what you've seen in the, the and heard with the uh, the lawsuit? Where's Demoff in this? Oh, how bad is that? I, I have been told that See, apparently Jerry Richardson isn't doing really well, is dealing with a level of dementia. And I I guess what happened was I made my half joke about that stadium collapsing on Stan Kroenke one time to one of the attorneys. And he said, make sure Demoff isn't there. We got to have Demoff in bubble wrap. So if that gives you an idea, that's how that's how important Demoff is to this case. Now, I'm going to ask this question because I know... You're just coming back with a death thing about me, right? No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Um, 
the only reason I bring this up because I've had fans ask me, so I'll ask you, and I already know the answer, but let's get it out there. Any chance that the NFL would say, hey, we, we can make good by awarding you a franchise? The NFL has no appetite to expand right now. St. Louis corporate and public leaders have no real appetite for dealing with the NFL. I just don't see that happening, Dan. And I think the big thing is, and you would, you both would know more about this than I do, but the big companies in town, specifically Enterprise and Worldwide Technology, they're invested in soccer, and they're actually friendly, and Corporate St. Louis likes them. Corporate St. Louis is invested right now in making soccer great. They don't want to cannibalize that franchise. No, absolutely. What they're doing with the MLS team is very pro St. Louis. It is very intentional. Every step of every decision that they've made in regards to that team has been thought with the betterment of St. Louis in mind. And that includes their corporate sponsorships, as we've seen already with some of the the announcements that they've made. And I can't imagine that if you're making a strictly business decision, a financial business decision, that even though the NFL is such a power, that if you're in St. Louis, that you would want to get in bed with an entity that has burned you and that you know does not want to be here. And if you're an NFL owner, if you're one of the other 31, do you really want to contribute your funds, league funds, to building a $2 billion stadium in St. Louis? Because they've already told us that the Dome is insufficient and we aren't building a stadium. So if anybody's building a stadium, it'd have to be them. It's pretty amazing that uh, it's gotten to this point. And uh, let's just say that the city wins this lawsuit. I'll be fascinated how they use the funds. I will too. It'll be really interesting. Where do they go? Yeah. And how much better can they make the city? And That's right. Are they responsible? Is the, the Board of Aldermen, Tashara Jones, in the city, Sam Page, and the County Council, are they responsible with that money? Right. Also, if I'm in a... Uh a business standpoint. I'm looking at what's going on in Chicago, which is a, a major market, and they're threatening to move the mm-hmm. Bears out of downtown Chicago to Arlington Heights. I'm looking at what's happening with the Bills, where they're, again, threatening if we don't get public money, we could rip the, the Bills out of Buffalo to move they got to be else. saying thank you to St. Louis for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're the Bills and uh, yeah. the, the, right. the Bears fans. For sure. But if I'm a business owner here, or if I'm running a, a Fortune 500 corporation, why would I invest my money in a football team that doesn't have stability and doesn't want to be here when I could go to the Blues. The Cardinals are now St. Louis City SC, which I know is invested in St. Louis. Unless you've put your head in the sand as an NFL fan, you have to realize that NFL owners are a bunch of Richards. (laughs) My goodness. They are. (laughs) I got a my goodness out of that. That that was good. That was good. I just didn't know how to respond that was safe for radio to that. (laughs) Okay. You know. Good. Good. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome. It's time for 
the fight here on Carriker Smallman and Danny Mack on 101 ESPN, but we're going to need your help on this one. John was all lined up to do the fight, confirmed with Emily that he was ready to go. She called him and went straight to voicemail. So if you want to fight Randy, 65780, text us the word fight right now, and she'll get you on the line. This is your opportunity. A lot of people, Dan, listen to this segment every single day. Yeah. I see them out. They say, I always want to participate in the fight, but I'm too nervous to go against Randy. We'll take this as your sign that today is the day. So uh, we had John lined up. We called ready. you, John, and um, well, it went straight into voicemail. So uh, if you want to fight, just text us in 65780 on the Air Comfort Service text line, and then you can lose against Randy because Randy has been very confident here recently. And, here um, recently? Well, that's true. All the time. <laughs> he said, walking out, just to give the fighter a little idea what was happening, he said, all I do is win, win, win. He started doing that. He likes, he's always like this, Dan, but he really likes to rub it in when you're here. On Thursdays and Fridays, Randy really Is he a little bit more into it? Oh, yeah, because he knows that you root against him. Well, that's true. And he said, uh, what, he's won 12 of the last 13? Uh, 13 out of the last 14. 13 I out of 14. he's just a, a skosh ahead of the Cardinals. A skosh. Uh, 13 out of 14. That's pretty darn good. And Emily, I think, has somebody as we speak. Talking. She's getting someone on the line. Who do you think it will be? Go on, Emily. What do you got? <laughs> this person is probably trying to leave work. They're trying to scurry out of their cubicle to do the fight. <laughs> if there's, if oh, she's putting them on hold. All right. Okay. This is this is fun for all of us. It's a mystery. It's a grab bag. Who do you have, Emily? Who is it? Another John. Okay. Oh, it's a different John. Not the I just did a Sopranos. Oh, there. Like, who, who am I, Polly Walnuts? <laughs> Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you all? We're doing wonderful. Thank you for calling in last minute. We're excited to have you on the fight. Of course. I'm very excited. Well, that's excited about the Cardinals. Well, we all are excited about the Cardinals, John. Uh, what do you do for a living that allows you to listen to this fine program in the morning? Um, I'm an accountant. I'm actually on my way to work right now. Okay, well, be careful. Pull over and uh, make sure you uh, concentrate as of hard course. as you can. Yes, be, be course, safe. Yep. Okay, thank you, John. Yes, thank you, John. And uh, we always cheer for the listeners here. Oh, yeah, Dan John, I'm pulling for you. There's no question about that. Well, especially we're cheering great, for John, great. who swooped in last second yeah. to help us out on the fight. So good Absolutely. luck, John. We're, we're in your corner here. <laughs> All right, question number one. As you know, John, the Cardinals won their 11th straight game last night, tying their longest winning streak since August 2001. Which team had the longest consecutive win streak in Major League Baseball history? Is it the Cleveland Indians, the New York, now San Francisco Giants, or the Oakland Athletics? Let's go with Oakland. All right. Who was the first 40-40 player in Major League history? Was it A-Rod, Jose Canseco, or Barry Bonds? Ooh. So, um, let's go Bond. Question number three for you, John. Happy 34th birthday to former Cardinals first baseman Xavier Scruggs. Scruggs left Major League Baseball to go play in the KBO for which team from 2017 to 2018? Was it the Doosan Bears, the LG Twins, or the NC Dinos? Oh, man, that is tough. Let's go with the, I want to say Dinos. All right. By the way, uh, Xavier Scruggs will be our guest coming up at 10.15 on 
Danny Mac and BK. He's the best. He is a great new media star. He's all over the place. Great interviews on his podcast. I'll be listening to that interview, Dan. On uh, this day, 1997, the Mariners broke the record for the most home runs hit in a single season by a team, 258. There's a new record of 307 in a single season broken uh, broken in 2019 by which team? Was it the Yankees, the uh, Twins, or the Dodgers? You know, I want to say for some odd reason this was the Twins. All right. Checking our score. Yep, yep. Waving in Randy, who's waiting patiently in the hall in the cone of silence. Oh, he's... He walked in with a little Tyler O'Neill chest action. Oh, no. Led with his chest, John. I did. Uh Uh-oh. Randall? But Tyler O'Neill can't help it. That's just how he's built. He leads with his chest because... (laughs) Randy led with his chest because he's confident. He got his chest out. Say good morning to John. Morning, John. How are you doing? Morning, Randy. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Of course. And you didn't see any of this commotion because you've been in the cone of silence. Yeah, but what was the commotion? We, we had a John lined up for the fight. Uh-huh. He didn't pick up his phone, so we had to put the call out. This John called in awesome. last minute on his way to work as an accountant, and so he swooped in and saved the day. All right. Thank you very much for saving the day for us. We do appreciate hey, it. Hey, of course. I try. All right, Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. As you know, the Cardinals won their 11th straight game last night, tying their longest winning streak since August 2001. Which team had the longest consecutive win streak in Major League history? Cleveland Indians. 23? 22, 23? Yeah, just 2017, I think. Who was the first 40-40 man in baseball? Jose Canseco, 1988. Happy 34th birthday to former Cardinals first baseman Xavier Scruggs. John's reaction Scruggsy. to your answers is killing me here. Xavier will be on the uh, the show today, 10-15. Oh, Great. He's a beauty. I he like tuned him. in. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah. He left Major League Baseball to go play in the KBO for which team in 2017-2018? I'll have to uh, do the lifeline here. I, don't, I, I, I think I know one team that it wasn't, but I'll just do the lifeline here. Was it the Doosan Bears, the LG Twins, or the NC Dinos? Okay, I don't think that he was playing for NC, so it's either Doosan or LG. Are they sponsored by a refrigerator company? <laughs> we haven't gone that far. Okay. Yeah. Are you talking LG? Yeah, LG. Let's find out. So it's the Doosan Bears or the LG Twins? Yes. I'm, I'm gonna, well, that's two of the three options. I'm yes. going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Doosan. And LG makes home appliances, fridges, TVs, kitchen appliances, and mobile mobile devices. Very so nice, Rando. Locked, locked into all different categories. This day, 1997, mm-hmm. the Mariners broke the record for the most home runs, hit in a single season by a team with 258. Hmm. But there's a new record of 307. <laughs> In a single season broken in 2019 by which team? The Twins. All right. We have a tie. Mm. John and Randy, it's a tie. John, I heard your exasperated sighs as Randy was answering, but you you didn't need them because he was giving you the wrong answers. You both got two correct, (laughs) so we're heading to the tiebreaker question. John, here is how this is going to work. I will read the tiebreaker question. Randy will write down his answer on a sheet of paper. We're going to give you first crack at it. You're going to get about 10 seconds to reveal your answer to us. Then Randy will share what he wrote on his piece of paper. First to get it correct or correct closest to the pin wins. John, are you ready? Sounds good. Let's go. Randy, are you ready? Ready. All right, gentlemen. Your tiebreaker question is this. How many strikeouts did Jake Westbrook have in the 2011 regular season? 
how many strikeouts did Jake Westbrook have in the 2011 regular season? Hmm. See Randy scribbling the sharp, sharpie there? He has shown us his answer. Okay. John, your thoughts? Let's, let's go with 111. 111. Randy, your answer? 80. 80 is Randy Carricker's answer. Is it John or is it Randy? Emily, ring it. The winner and new champion My of goodness. the fight. Average <laughs> Joe Listener. The fight sponsored by oh. Brian Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. I absolutely love this. John just driving into work, listening to the show. He calls in on a whim, and he ends up beating Randy on the tiebreaker question. Congratulations, Sean. We're going to run through the path on how you got to victory. So the team that had the longest consecutive win streak in Major League history, both of you guys didn't know this, it was the New York Giants, now, of course, the San Francisco Giants, 26 games back in 1916. Jose Canseco, the first 40-40 man in uh, baseball, 1988 with the A's. He had 42 home runs, 40 stolen bases. Randy got that right. Okay, yep. Xavier Scruggs played in the KBO for the NC Dinos in 2017-2016. And on this day in 97, the Mariners uh, broke the record for home runs in a single season, and that has been broken by the Twins, and you both got that right, 307. The tiebreaker question was, how many strikeouts did Jake Westbrook have in the 2011 regular season? Randy guessed 80. John guessed 111. The correct answer is 104. 104. John was closest to the pin. It was meant to be, John, written in the stars for you to win today. (laughs) Congratulations. Have a good day at work, and we're going to talk to you again tomorrow. Wow, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. John with us on 101 ESPN. Congratulations. Go ahead and hit your just win, baby. (laughs) I didn't win, Dan. Well, John did. <laughs> Just win, baby. Maybe he wanted to hear that. That could be. We need a sounder. Look at Randy. He is there. upset, not happy. Which question did you not like, Randy? Was it the KBO one? No, that's, well, no, that's fine. I would have given you extra credit for the uh, refrigerator comment. That's right. You knew yeah. what was up with LG. Yeah. Bonus mm-hmm. points. LG Dinos. So, or no, LG, what? Twins? Bears. No, twins. Twins. Doosan Bears. Yeah, Doosan Bears, the twins. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Coming up, the Blues start training camp today, and we're going to be joined by our Blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic is our Blues insider. And today is a big day, obviously, because the Blues start training camp. But, JR, we're talking during the break, and we want your all-time record number of pieces of pizza eaten at one sitting. (laughs) Uh, What a question to start the day here. This is great. Uh, before I before I give you an answer there, I got to tell you we're on the road all the media, and this is back when Jimmy the Cat Hayes traveled with us, Bernie Federico, Kelly Chase. I was the last one to show up because I was writing an article, and when I got there, this table of like ten guys had a bet of how many chicken wings I was going to eat, 
And uh, I got there and I disappointed everybody. I had about 10 or 12 and they had me down for 30 or 40. So <laughs> I got a bad reputation. But uh, as far as pizza goes, I can demolish a pizza. Um, I'm an Emo's guy. I do love Emo's. Uh, I can probably, let's say, six, seven, eight pieces. That's really, really good. That's impressive. Yeah. So Danny was telling us that Bernie Federico used to be able to do like 17 Little Caesars pieces. Well, actually, Bernie can't out-eat me. I've been in a lot of press boxes and uh, media lunches, dinners with him, and he puts a hurting on it. But then what you'll always see with Bernie Federico, and Dan can attest to this, is the next day at 6 a.m., he is in the hotel gym on that treadmill sweating his wow. butt off, and he puts in five or six miles. So, so Bernie can put it down, but he can also take it off. Plan for the tie. That's my motto in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, JR, as camp opens, what's the biggest storyline that you're looking forward to finding uh, an answer towards? To me, Michelle, it's probably how do these uh, first couple lines shake out. Uh, we've had, we had all the storylines all season long that you know probably people are getting tired of with uh, the Vladimir Tarasenko situation, so on and so forth. But now you have Buchnevich, you have Saad in camp, you have Robert Thomas signed. Is he going to be in the top six? Is he going to be on the third line? Are they going to put Jordan Cairo in the top six? To me, how do these top uh, two lines, three lines shake out? Where's Craig Bruby going to start with them first? And it's going to be kind of hard to deduce in the training camp practices because they'll have a couple groups going. And so you'll see pairs together, but you won't see lines together. But I think as we get a few days into camp, maybe a week into camp, we'll be able to uh, see what they have their eyes on. How about Tarasenko? How do you think this is going to play out? Well, I got to be honest with you. I told you guys a couple months ago, I didn't see this day coming when camp would start with when he would be, be here. I really didn't see it. And it's still possible that he's traded before the season starts, but, uh, You know, I think it's a situation where absolutely nothing has changed, Dan, from the standpoint that he wants to be traded and the Blues want to move him. The only thing is that Doug Armstrong hasn't been able to find a deal to his liking. And so, you know, could we have predicted a couple months ago that that wouldn't happen? I think that would have been somewhat difficult to do. But I'm told that there's still at least one team that's interested. But now it's going to be a situation where uh, I think they're going to have to get into – camp get into maybe even the regular season maybe get a couple months into the season and see how he looks let Vladimir Tarasenko get his legs under him see if he can put some points up all that to me is going to come down to where do they play him who do they play him with and how much do they play him and whether he can perform so it's going to be interesting now to see because his production is going to open the door to a potential trade and and so we'll have to see how long that takes JR, you and I were both covering the team the day that Ken Hitchcock earned his 700th career victory against Craig Berube and the Philadelphia Flyers. These are two guys that have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. Hitch has worked as kind of a mentor for Berube. So for Hitch to come back as a coaching consultant seems like a fit like a glove to me. Yeah, it absolutely does. And here's the thing is they've been talking for the past couple of years. I remember interviewing Ken Hitchcock. Um, last season and he said yeah Craig calls me I give him some ideas some advice we bounce things off each other I think uh, even during the Stanley Cup run uh, the two were talking Uh, so to me this is putting a title on a relationship that's continued over the years Uh, Ken Hitchcock definitely wants to be involved some way somehow you know he has strong ties to the coaching staff too with Jim Montgomery Steve Ott you know Steve Ott played for him and yesterday when I texted Ken Hitchcock hey congrats he texted back Thanks, buddy. See you at the rink. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, and then the other move yesterday, Peter Chiarelli is promoted to executive VP of Hockey Ops. What does that mean? Well, he's going to take over uh, for Dave Taylor. Dave Taylor had that position with the Blues for a number of years now. 
you know, you, you could kind of see this one coming, honestly, because Doug Armstrong and Peter Shirelli have had a relationship for a while. Uh, Team Canada also, uh, when when Peter Shirelli was let go by Edmonton in 2019, I believe it was, um, he popped in with the Blues and hung out with the Brass on several occasions. I don't know that there was a spot available, uh, but now uh, Dave Taylor, he's been shifted uh, to an advisory role, and Shirelli takes over the VP of Hockey Operation. We have to keep in mind, and I know you guys have talked to Doug Armstrong about this, uh, he's got Team Canada duties this year, and so he's going to be pulled a few different directions. And somebody with experience, Shirelli, who won a Stanley Cup with Boston in 2011, is going to be able to offer that support. Jared, one person I don't think we've talked a ton about this offseason is Jordan Bennington. And I was reading Jim Thomas in the Post-Dispatch this morning, and it struck me, he pointed it out, and it struck me that he was right. Bennington still hasn't played an entire full season in the NHL yet because he came in 2019, then you had the stoppage in 2020, an abbreviated season last year. So I'm really interested to see how Jordan Bennington fares during a full season if he has that durability. Yeah, I am too. And I'll tell you, uh, I did some number crunching last night. You know, you look at a situation where Bennington has the Stanley Cup run and then he gets the two-year bridge contract and then he gets the uh, six times six uh, deal uh, that's going to kick in this year. And I think some fans, some, you have short memories, I might add, are a little critical saying, does he really live up to the long-term contract that the Blues gave him? And the number crunching I did that's in my article at The Athletic Today is, uh, you look at the past couple years in the regular season, he's been a top five goalie. He's made 90 plus starts. He's one of only three goalies in the league to make 90 plus starts the last two regular seasons. And his save percentage and his goals against is top five in the league in the past two regular seasons. So yes, it hasn't been there in the playoffs, but I think we can all agree that the team hasn't been the team in the playoffs the past couple years. Uh, Bennington and the Edmonton bubble didn't play great. Hey, that's, that's for sure. Uh, but I think if you got a goalie who you can be really confident in the regular season and you play better as a team in the playoffs, uh, you know, I think they got a, a good situation. So, JR, as uh, NHL training camps open up, what is explain to fans maybe what's happening with COVID rules for players, vaccinations, uh, what do the players have to do? Also, media a little bit. I am curious about that. Maybe not the fans, but I am. But, you know, are some of the players being held out because if they're not vaccinated, they can't get in? What, what's the situation here? Yeah, so uh, Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner for the NHL, came out and said that they had about 99% of the league that was vaccinated. There's a few names trickling out of players that aren't the Blues, to my knowledge, are fully vaccinated, so that's good news here in St. Louis. So the protocol is going to open up for a a little bit for them this season. They're going to be able to go out to dinner, hang out with each other, and do things. That's going to be good for guys like Tori Krug, who came in last year and and wasn't able to do that. Uh, As far as uh, training camp, we as media are going to be allowed um, into the building. I believe uh, we need to be vaccinated. Uh, Also wear a mask, Uh, but we are going to start out doing the Zoom phone calls. So uh, that's not going to change from last year. Hopefully uh, we'll make some progress and be able to get some more in-depth interviews soon, Dan, and and bring people uh, the latest on on this team. Uh, But in terms of big picture, it does feel like a a step forward and and that uh, the team is going to be able to be themselves, go on the road, have some fun together, and we're going to be able to uh, one day get in the locker room and bring you the news. So is the rule then that the players have to be vaccinated? What's the situation with that? Yeah, the players uh, have to be, well, they recommend that they be vaccinated. But what what happened, Dan, was the uh, the league put it on the teams 
to, and, and the NHLPA to kind of push the players in that direction. And I think that's what's happened because if, if you're going to miss time due to COVID because you've contracted the virus, then you're going to miss a paycheck. And so I think a lot of players that were on the fence about getting the vaccination went ahead and got it uh, in time for, for camp. So uh, I think that's a you know, good thing if you look at it because you just can't have a situation, especially in a year where you're trying to squeeze the Olympics into the schedule where you're going to miss games. JR, always great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep, thanks, guys. That's our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. Speaking of The Athletic, Mike Sando talks some NFL next on 101. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Week three of the NFL begins tonight here on 101 ESPN with the Panthers taking on the Texans, 7 o'clock pregame. And we welcome to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, Mike Sando, our friend from The Athletic. Good to have you with us, sir. How you doing? Good. Good morning. Hey, let's start with the, the Carolina Panthers and Sam Darnold. A lot of people are saying maybe the Jets made a mistake. Maybe they misevaluated this guy. What are you thinking so far? I don't know. It felt over there, didn't it? I mean, some of it's where you're at and what what you are to that place and what the pressures are. And I think the change of scenery was probably good for him. He's probably playing better than he would be if he was there. Shoot, look at what Zach Wilson's doing. Maybe the place is cursed. Yeah, that might be. You know, if he had four interceptions last week, I mean, they would be all over. You know, any time he had a bad game, it would be, you know, they should have drafted so-and-so, right? Absolutely. Um, Another quarterback that's really impressed Mike is Kyler Murray and the way that he's been playing. We knew that he had a lot of potential and a lot of skill, but it seems like we may be talking about him in a different quarterback tier next season. Yeah, I think so. You know, but consistency is the issue with him and them. And last year he was hurt the second half of the year and he wasn't the same. So that's the whole thing for him with me is uh, he's, undersized obviously and he runs a lot and if he can hold up over a 17 game season and play this way the whole time there's no doubt he's going to be at the top of the second tier and and knocking on the door higher than that but it's two games so let's you know let's see if he can do that over the course of the year because he was pretty good i think they were in first place last year when he got hurt It'll be really interesting as well to watch how this style of quarterbacking evolves in the NFL. The Bears appear to want Justin Fields to do that. I always go back, Mike, to that old Ken Stabler line that he's never seen an old running quarterback. Yeah, well, Fran Tarkenton played a long time. Yeah, he did. You know, Russell Wilson, um, now these guys could pass the heck out of the ball. Fran Tarkenton had more touchdown passes than anybody when he retired, and Russell Wilson's a great passer. So I think that um, that's probably true if that's all you can do. Um, But I think it can be a component of your game um, if you can still pass the ball. Um, And look, people – you know, people are always going to criticize the quarterback who is better at running than passing. Um, and it is hard to go all the way and win the games in the two-minute situations if you can't pass it decently. But um, Kyler Murray can throw the ball really well. You know, Russell Wilson throws it really well. We'll see on Justin Fields and some of the other guys. But um, I think that can be a healthy component of your game 
especially like Kyler Murray does a pretty good job of kind of patting his feet and getting out of bounds. Um, So we'll see. Mike, there were so many quarterback injuries over the weekend, and my natural thought was, I wonder how many teams are intrigued or at least thinking about Deshaun Watson. Clearly, he's not an option right now in Houston, but do you think that we'll see Deshaun Watson play this season? I think that his situation has to be resolved first. So is there a legal settlement or is there that sort of thing that happens? Um then I think it's possible. But until that happens, um, you know, I totally see it. Maybe he's waiting to see if there's a great opportunity for him to go somewhere. And and that's when he's going to try to settle the cases. But that's hard to hard to know really what's going on behind the scenes and and if that's going to happen. Mike Sando from The Athletic joining us on 101 ESPN. I really like the piece that you put up a few hours ago on the oldest and youngest starting lineups. And I think people will be shocked to know that the Chiefs have the youngest starting lineup in the NFL, Mike. And I really like their offensive line with Humphrey at center and Trey Smith at right guard and Yang, who's essentially a rookie at right tackle. And especially at that position, you have to believe that those guys under Andy Reid and that staff are going to ascend as the season goes along you would think so you know i think orlando brown at left tackle is an interesting one the price they paid and is he more of a right tackle you know than a a guy who really moves well enough uh, on that side of the you know traditionally what you're looking at but yeah i think they needed to do something and really you can make the case that maybe they should have done this a year ago because remember in the super bowl against san francisco they just about lost the game because they couldn't block um, you know both on all those guys for the 49ers and then the oldest starting lineup in the league belongs to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I guess there are multiple ways to do this. <laughs> there are, you know, I kind of put, I kind of think there's four categories of teams. You, know, you, you want to be good and young. If you can't be good and young, you want to be good and old. And if you're going to be bad, you want to be bad and young. Hey, we got a future, right? Remember all those years, Jacksonville was young and they never got there, but other teams, you know, you get there. You, the last thing you want to be, is bad and old. Then everybody gets fired usually. And here in St. Louis, the youngest team in the league when the Rams won the Super Bowl was the Rams. And then eight years later, they got emotionally attached to those same guys, and they were the oldest team in the league, and they were going 1-15 and 15 and 2-14. and 14. So they went from the best to the worst just because they got emotionally attached to their guys. Yeah, you can kind of sell to people that, hey, you know, look, it's been a little up and down, but we're young, right? these guys are going to come together. It's really hard when you're old. And that's, you know, like Chicago and Houston right now are kind of older teams and maybe they're not going to do so well. So yeah, I I think it is, uh, it is something interesting to look at. And I was, the reason I wrote this piece was because I was kind of looking at it and I was like, wow, the chiefs, youngest starters, come on. Yep. I know that is surprising, Mike. We live in a society that loves to re- overreact, especially in the immediacy of something. I think we saw that uh, recently with Aaron Rodgers after that week one loss to the Saints. A lot of people questioning his motives and if he had checked out, he bounced back with a pretty strong response. But I wonder if that same thought process applies to Urban Meyer. It seems like any time that I read about Urban Meyer, it's that he sounds miserable. He's saying it's like it's playing Alabama every week. Is he interested in the USC job? Do you think we're overreacting with urban or do you think that he just needs a bit of a calibration period and everything will sort of settle down 
Um, I don't think we're overreacting when he's left tough situations before, you know, and then they put out a statement after two games, you know, and I, you saw that statement, right? He was yes. like, uh, "We're," gonna, you know, and I was just thinking, too, did you have a two-game plan or something? No, I mean, you know, this is normal in the NFL. Even an Aaron Rodgers, who's been thirteen and three the last two years, can have what happened to them happen, you know, in the first game. So, um, I think I'll believe it when I see it that he's there for the second year and beyond all of that. I think it's fair to to wonder if he's cut out for this because he's already lost more games than he might lose in a year when he was really rolling in college. Hey, Mike, one more thing. We are a Miami Dolphins show here. Our voters, our uh, listeners voted for the Dolphins to become our show. And you know, as well as anybody, a few years ago when the Dolphins were bad, the thought process was tank for Tua. Uh, what, wh- where does Tua stand now in terms of developing into a solid NFL quarterback? Yeah, I'm a little concerned. You know, I just don't think we've seen him. We we haven't even seen really the flashes of him taking over a game even once. Or just, you know, if you were to put together, uh, if we said, hey, Randy, put together your 10 favorite Tua plays since he's been with the Dolphins. Can you think of them? No, I, I sure can't. Wow, that's a really, we, really important you know. exercise. <laughs> yeah, and it would be like, we could do Kyler Murray like the last two games. It might be like... Yeah. You could make him look like a Hall of Famer, right? So that's kind of my concern there is he leaves the game against uh, Buffalo that they were losing terribly. And I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe they they have just as good of a chance, right? So that can be unfair sometimes, but I I do want to see some flashes of something really excellent, and it just doesn't seem like we've seen that. No, and hopefully we will soon. Mike Sando, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We'll do this again soon. Okay, thanks, Randy, Michelle. See you. Appreciate it. That is our friend Mike Sando from The Athletic. Does great work. And that piece on the youngest and oldest starting lineups in the league is really intriguing and eye-opening. Yes, and speaking of eye-opening, that comment he just made about Tua, yeah. that hits you like a ton of bricks. Kind of scary. Because you could do that exercise with almost any quarterback in the NFL, at least come up with a handful right off the top of your head of memorable plays or difference-making plays. And the fact that you have to dig to think about that with Tua, that says something. All of our Tua plays are from college, before the hip. That's right. Yikes. But go Dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up, it's our last edition of Wednesdays with Wayno. Adam Wayne right next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Kerker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, and it's time for a special Thursday edition of Wednesdays with Wayno. Adam Wainwright joining us from Milwaukee, where the Cards take on the Brewers in the finale of their four-game series. Wayno, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? Everything's great. I want to start with this because I know that you are a, a big fan of rooting for the USA, whether it's in the Olympics or something like the World Cup or the Ryder Cup. What a shame that the schedule didn't work out, that you couldn't make the trip over to Whistling Straits to watch the U.S. at least once in this Ryder Cup this coming weekend. Well, I mean, it was an option to go over and watch them practice or for me to go over and play a great golf course myself. So, um, I will watch them on TV and take the really nice golf course. <laughs> so we played an excellent golf course yesterday, me and Matt Carpenter and, and uh, 
This is the sneakiest, best golf town in the entire United States. Really? I, I'm just convinced of it. I mean, it's just you got Aaron Hills, which is one of my top five. You got Whistling Straits. You got Blue Mound. You got Milwaukee Country Club. There's a couple other ones that are not on the top 100 list, but are excellent golf courses too. The topography here is great. I mean, it's, you know, there's some sneaky towns, but Pittsburgh's another one that's got incredible, incredible golf courses. But this one, that, this one is the tops for me because Aaron Hills is special, Milwaukee Country Club is special, and Whistling Straits is special, and Blue Mountain is really, really cool too. Which one did you play this week? Played Blue Mound. Okay, great. So it's a, that's a good tip for people, and it's a short drive if people want to go for a, for a golf trip. Now they know that Adam Wainwright has his stamp of approval on the Milwaukee area. Well, and Aaron Hills and Whistling Straits are both private are both public courses. So you can log in online and, and sign up to, to play a tee times there when they're available. Now, the only problem with right now is because the Ryder Cup's in town, every single person in the world that plays golf or wants to watch golf is here to watch this event. So, um, so the, the courses are all pretty much booked. Adam, I'm sure you and Matt Carpenter and all your teammates are excellent golfers, but I can't imagine you're playing better golf than you're playing baseball right now. We're taping this on Wednesday. You and your teammates have won 10 in a row right now, and you said this to Randy and I several weeks ago. We asked you what your team needed to do to get into a playoff position, and you said we need to go on a winning streak, and here you are. You've pulled it off. How does it feel right now? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thought, really, when you think about it. We 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 had a really tough series against the Reds where we won two out of three. We went into a, a very dangerous Mets team that was right on the cusp of the playoffs and swept them. We played an incredibly dangerous Padres team that was on the cusp of the playoffs and had had possession of their second block card the entire season uh, and swept them. And then, you know, we won the first two games against a very, very obviously very tough Milwaukee team. So, we're clicking at the right time. We need to not get comfortable. We need to keep this going. We got bigger series ahead, and and uh, and luckily we put ourselves into a good situation where we control our own destiny. Adam, any time that a streak happens, I think of superstitions. Is there anything that you or your teammates are doing the same now that you've been rolling ten games in a row? Say that one more time. Shell, sorry, I missed you. Oh, no, you're good. I said whenever I think of a streak, you know, we think about playoff superstitions or beards or something like that. I think of a streak and I think of superstitions. So I'm wondering if there's anything that you or any of your teammates are doing now that you've won 10 in a row. You need to keep things consistent. Uh, that's a good question. I don't think so. It doesn't seem like, I mean, you know, besides stuff that players might not want me to share on my, I mean, <laughs> Guys might have on some some holy sliding shorts underneath their their pants or something, but I, I think what's what's more than anything is a team that's just come together. It's gelling. It's it's the nucleus is is rocking. You know, we've got great mojo going. Everybody's rooting for each other. Everybody's really excited in the dugouts. Uh, I mean, it's just a it's just been a kind of a revival. Like we knew it was there. It just wasn't. You know, wasn't sticking its head out just yet, and that's kind of what's going on right now. Adam, you're also getting some help from some other teams. Does this kind of have at all a 2011 feel for you? Well, I, I had this talk with some of the guys that were there to celebrate the reunion the other day. It has shades of it, for sure, right? Like, we, we were in a 
in a bad spot. We had a tough schedule. Um, things that were similar, obviously the schedule is in our favor. I mean, it was going to be tough, but back then we played Atlanta, we played the Brewers, we played, you know, we played all the teams that were ahead of us on the, on the, on the schedule. This time we, we played all the teams that were ahead of us on the schedule. We played the Reds, we played the Padres, we played the Mets, you know, we, we playing the Brewers in our division. Now, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, almost certainly going to win the division, but we're playing all these teams where you're looking at it going, all right, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it is possible. And so I was having this discussion with some of the guys. I just don't want to take away anything from what that 11 team did because back then there was not two wild card spots. There was one wild card spot, and we were 10 and a half back in September and won that second or that won that wild card spot. I mean, that's just wild. So is it? Is it similar? Yes, it's similar. Um, but you're t- talking about coming back from, you know, four games back or whatever we are or whatever we were from ten and a half back. I mean, you know, it's just cur- it's a crazy thing. So just to respect the guys that were there that traveled to, to see each other and, and, and won a World Series together, I said, hey, it's similar. But y'all are special, you know. <laughs> hey, Adam. W- one thing that is similar is that at the deadline that year, the Cardinals go out and they get Edwin Jackson for the rotation, and they get Zebchinski and Otell and sign Arthur Rhodes. This year, the team goes out and gets a guy like T.J. McFarland and a guy like Luis Garcia for the bullpen. Gets the two starters in Hap and and John Lester. Uh, as players, how does that make you feel when, on a pretty consistent basis, the organization goes out and makes moves that work? We, we didn't. We're, in the media, we're saying, "Oh, happened, Lester, great," and they they wind up working. So, for in a clubhouse, how does that dynamic work? Well, here's what we knew: we knew we were going to get guys who were going to come in and attack the strike zone, which was one of the things we were struggling with the most, wasn't it? I mean, we were. Our, our, our rotation, you know, it was was banged up. We Jack was out. Miles wasn't back yet. Um, we had a couple. We had a couple young guys in there who who hadn't found their way just yet as being superstar starters like they're going to. We had Johnny Gant, who's very talented, but you know he was walking a lot of people. We had Oviedo in, very very talented, but walking a lot of people and putting ourselves into a bad situation. Sometimes we knew we were getting guys in that were going to attack the zone were veteran pitchers who had been in big, big games who were going to understand how to pitch down the stretch because there is something to that. Um, and that's what we're getting. You know, these guys are comfortable in any situation. John Lester, the bigger the game, the better the pitcher he is. I think everybody in the world knows that. Um, and you had guys who are, are are not just that. Half and Lester were both guys who are are kind of trying to, rep- like, recruit themselves a little bit and, and had to, you know, they came over here with, with open minds and change some of the styles that they were doing based off some of the information they were getting. And we're not, we're not, uh, didn't let their egos get in the way of that. Like, hey, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm going to keep doing it. Now it was like, all right, help me. What can we do to get better? And those guys had an open mind about that, but they're also just winners. You know, they're winners. And when you add winners to a situation, it's going to be better. But also, you know what? It's really helped our clubhouse atmosphere with, with just adding a couple of veteran players, guys who aren't aren't afraid to you know, aim it up a little bit, talk a little bit in there, lighten lighten the the, the mood up a little bit. You know, you can only 
hear that from one or two people so many times. You need a you need kind of a great mix of old and young to be able to do that. And there's a banter in there that's now that's one thing that's similar to eleven right now is the banner in the clubhouse has got those it's just full of characters now and that's that is a very, very important thing. It's Wednesdays with Wayno. More coming up with the Cardinal Right Hander on one oh one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Wednesdays with Wayno continues. Randy and Michelle. Adam, you mentioned that John Lester is a winner. He is a 200 winner, in fact. It was a special moment watching him get win 200 this week. You're at 183. You've got several starts left this season. You're coming back next year. I'm sure you've thought about getting to that 200 mark as well. Well, to quote the great John Lackey, that's a great round number. You know, I think it would be awesome, you know, but it's, it is something that uh, I'd like to get a couple more in this year to, you know, to maybe, you know, have a really good chance at it. Um, now, if, if the season ended today, I, I still feel like I could do it next year too, but um, wins are sometimes out of your control. Now, the thing that you can control is carrying your team deep into the game, uh, pitching a quality a quality game, keeping your team in there so so you have a chance to win. Woody Williams used to always tell me, if you want wins, you got to go seven. I think I've said that on here before with mm-hmm. y'all. And you know, the lot. Of, it's funny that a lot of times you look at the guys who have the most wins. They're the guys going seven the most times, and uh, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times. And so that's that's what I can control. So it would be great. Don't get me wrong. That would be a that would be a real nice round number. But um, we'll see what happens. Another round number that you will get in your start against the Brewers is 2,000 strikeouts. Were you bummed at all that you weren't able to get that at home? Yes, after the fact. I I, I knew I was close. I didn't know how close. Uh, I, if I'd have known all I needed was one going into that last inning, I would have just been bouncing all kinds of breaking balls in the dirt when I got some of those two-strike counts and just begging somebody to fish. But. Uh, they did a good job on the two strikes. I mean, and I didn't have my really good breaking ball last game. It was okay, but it didn't have that real good late bite um, on my cutter or my or my curveball actually. So everything I threw last game was just kind of average. It wasn't nothing was nothing was bad, but nothing was great. And to get those punch outs, sometimes you got to have one or two working, you know, with that good late life to get the swing in this. But I can tell you, if I knew I was one away going into the last. I mean, especially I had Will Myers uh, one and two, and he fouled off a couple of pitches that I threw, like, you know, on the corner, down the way or whatever. Man, I would have been two hopping those balls, opening this to swing at it so I could get that at home in front of our great crowds. But um, it's all right. I, I came out, I, I said, uh, I said, Jack, what do I need, like two or three more? He goes, you just needed one more. I'm like, one more, no. <laughs> oh, no. And Adam, you didn't get any help from the umpire that night, and you handle it so well when an umpire is having an off night. Have you always been that way? Did you ever, uh, in your younger days, react poorly to an umpire having a bad night? Not really, Randy, because I was an umpire growing up. Um, that was one of my one of my first jobs. I was a hmm. I was a caddy at the golf course, and I was an umpire at the at the local little league field that I grew up playing on. And I can tell you, that's a hard job, man. That's harder than you think. 
Uh, it's hard calling those bang-bang plays at first. It's hard calling, you know, a, a legit zone behind the plate because I, uh, I was a pitcher's umpire. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> if it was, you know, if it was a couple inches off the plate, I, you better swing the bat, boys. So, uh, But, you know, they've been doing it a long, long time. They're professionals, so they, they ought to be better than I was umpiring Little League, but but it's still a, it's still a not an easy job. These pitches that, you know, not to toot our own horns, but those pitches we're throwing are pretty gross. They're pretty nasty. They got that good late life, and it's it's a hard job. But uh, the thing you can't do is show them up out there because some of these veteran umpires, if you do that one time, he ain't calling anything for you. So you got to be smart about it. You know, you got to let them know that you think that that was a strike. So you maybe pout around a little bit, like, or maybe like what I like to do is give a good hard stare. Like, are you like, are you kidding me? Without saying any words, so that they can't freak out about it. But I'm giving them a stare, like, dude, I just, I just threw a pitch that I want you to know was an absolute stone cold strike, and you missed it without saying it. You know what I mean? Like, give them that look, and kind of, and kind of walk back, get the rosin bag, and and, and they give him one good stare again, like, hey clean it up back there and sometimes there's a there's a there's a strategy behind that too because sometimes you know it was one inch off but you're you're trying to get it for the next time so you might you might give that good hard stare but maybe like a three-quarter stare because you know like hey i really want that or you might go up there and talk to them at the plate when you go up to bat you might say hey where you got that pitch because you don't want to say hey was that pitch down because then he thinks oh yeah it was down Mm -hmm. let's say hey was that pitch in because then you know he thinks it was in and he called the right bit. You say, hey, where well, you got that? Yeah. And then they say, well, I had it down. Like, man, I didn't have it down at all, you know. But you'll see, watch John Lester when he pitches. Yeah, he's going to give that good hard stare about three-fourths of the time. But after a while, you know, they start giving into it. <laughs> and sometimes they start, and they did that for years. They start calling it for him. Yeah, you're a savvy veteran. By the way, I want to go back to you umpiring as a kid, because if you grow up watching Greg Maddox and the way the umpires treated Greg Maddox, everything that was two, two inches off the plate was a, was a strike, right? So I can understand how you grew up thinking that that was a strike. Well, the bigger, the strike zone was bigger back then, you know, mm-hmm. and, the, and, and let's be honest, if they really wanted to speed up the games, they would just turn the strike zone back over to the umpires, let them call strikes again. I mean, that's, that's the best way to speed up a game. Now the offense is going to suffer from it, so that's not what they want for the game of baseball. They they want to major league baseball wants more offense, more offense, more offense. That's why they've changed the ball a million different times and done all the other things that they've done. But uh, if they want to speed it up, let them call those strikes. Remember Levon Hernandez yep. pitching against the Braves in the 1997 NLCS? That Eric, broke my heart. Eric Gregg. Eric Gregg behind the plate, calling you know back up breaking balls a foot and a half off the plate to Fred McGriff and Chipper Jones. Man, I was. I was just screaming bloody murder, but Greg Maddox pitched that same game. And so he could have done the same thing. And we just, uh, you know, the Braves didn't take advantage of it back then. But I love a big strike zone, Randy. It's, there's no better thing in the world than a big strike zone when you're out there pitching. Do you get respect as a veteran? And I know Maddox got this because throw it. If you're one or two inches off the plate, are there some, some certain umpires that will say, okay, that's where Adam wanted to throw it, so I'm going to give him the strike? I don't know about that, but the umpires have, uh, and I got to be careful because umpires might listen to this. I think, <laughs> I think y'all are outstanding umpires. Y'all are all doing a great job. Um, umpires have tendencies, you know. So uh, you might have one umpire who who doesn't call the low strike, 
which hurts my feelings, Randy. That hurts my feelings when he doesn't cut the low strike. Um, but he might call the high one, you know, or he might call off end to a lefty, but he's not going to give you away. And he's, he might call off into a righty, but he's not going to give you away or vice versa. And you usually know they're usually pretty good about, you know, establishing their strike zone early where at least you know where you can go and where you can't go, right? Like, so if I know, you know, a guy's not calling a low strike, it doesn't mean I'm not going to throw it. I'm going to keep throwing and hopefully they swing the bat. But at some point I've got to, you know, I've got to establish a strike zone of my own. I've got to understand those hitters got to know that I'm going to be 0-1 instead of 1-0. So I have to find something else to do. Pitching is a, there's a lot that goes into it. And those umpires are a big part of it. Adam, I wanted to ask you about Tyler O'Neill, who's been incredible during this winning streak. He's really coming into his own. He was the National League Player of the Week. He looks like he looks like he's developing into a star in front of our very eyes. So I'm just curious, from your vantage point, as somebody that's watched him all season and and prior to that, what kind of growth have you seen from Tyler O'Neill for him to arrive at this point? I think he's a star already. I think he's. Uh... I think he is a very, very unique player that has speed and power, uh, a good understanding of the strike zone, um, pretty good average. I did not know he was going to be this good. I'm just going to be honest. I did not know he was going to be this good this fast. I, I, he had potential, but we have seen him grow so much over a one-year span that it's crazy. You know, he is he's not swinging at as many balls. He's He's still able to drive the ball. He's hitting the off-speed pitches really well this year, but he's also, you know, he's the second half of the year he started to get some more fastballs too. Um, he's hitting the ball down, in, up, out. But what the main thing that we see is is a plate discipline and, and, a, and a, a will to learn off the field that I didn't see from, from him in previous years. Now, he's only been up a year or two, but I see him studying hitters a lot, or pitchers a lot. I see him really trying to understand what the starting pitcher and the other pitchers are trying to accomplish when they face it. You know, that's, and that's a big part of it is, is when you step up to the plate as a hitter, what are you, do you know what this pitcher has? Do you know what the shape of this pitches are? Do you know what his tendencies are? Do you know if he likes using this pitch with two strikes or this pitch to get ahead or whatever, does he use this pitch when there's runners on base, blah, blah, blah. And that was one thing that made Carlos Beltran and Matt Holliday and Albert Pujols and all the really great stars that we've had over the years, that was what made them special was they just had such a great understanding of what the pitcher was trying to do when they got up there. And and Tyler has really, really learned a lot in that regard. I see him with his iPad all the time studying the pitcher that, that's going to pitch that night. You know, and, and when you do that, you're more prepared. And when you're more prepared, you're more confident. There's just no getting around it. And I see a, a guy who's really confident out there He's got a plan and a purpose, and uh, he's putting it into action. It's really cool to see. Absolutely. I also, Adam, wanted to ask you, we, we always love to talk to you about anything that you have going on with Big League Impact, but you want fans to keep packing Bush Stadium for that final homestand of the regular season versus the Brewers. Tickets are on sale right now for just $5 for that series. $10 tickets. People can go to cardinals.com slash to get the tickets to Big League Impact for that series. But I heard you talking over the weekend about how important it was to feel that rumble back at Bush Stadium and how much an effect the fans have on the team. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Because we know what it's like to be in the stands and feel that electricity, but how much does having the the fans back at Bush Stadium and having them loud and engaged impact you and your teammates? 
it just, <clears throat> you know what it does? It provides a natural adrenaline rush that you cannot get on your own. Uh, you get into those big situations. You know, there's been times in my career where I go out for the ninth inning and I got two outs and, and maybe a tough batter's up with a deep count or something, and I'll take a step back and kind of grab the rosin bag. Well, really what I'm trying to do is soak in the crowd, trying to, to feel that emotion that they're, they're pouring out, trying to feel that buzz and give me a little bit more push to, to finish the job. And, and the same thing can be said for our, our, our bench. Man, you know what? It's just not talked about enough. But one of the most important things about winning baseball clubs is watching their excitement from the bench, watching that, that bench rocking and keeping the guys keeping the guys up, keeping the guys alert, keeping the guys fired up for their next at bat or whatever it is, keeping the excitement going. It is a real thing, and if you don't, have never played, you don't really understand it. But when the, when, the, when the crowd gets into it and the crowd starts rocking, they push the bench, and the bench goes, oh, man, that's, that's awesome. Come on, boys. Come on, boys. Let's go. We got to show these fans, that, you know, give them what they want. Like, we got to – I mean, it's just there's something there that you cannot get without a crowd. And last year when we played that pandemic season, 2020, man, we had to do a lot of self-pump up, you know, step off the mound, like, come on, baby, let's go. You know, and, and, and we're doing that anyways to an extent. But when you have a crowd pushing you, it makes it so much easier to get there, and it makes it so much more exciting. And, and, and you know, when you pull up to the, to the crowd, to the stadium, and you see the people out there tailgating, you smell those hot dogs and the onions on the grills going, and there's just an excitement and a buzz in the air that you can't replace, and it makes baseball so special, and it makes it so fun to play. And so I'm glad, man, that crowd the other night was rocking. We needed them, and uh, going forward, we're going to need them even more because we got to finish this job off. And, and when we get into this playoffs, we're a very dangerous team. Watch out. Anything can happen. We've seen it before. Well, you know, I want people to go to bigleagueimpact.org and check out the amazing things that Big League Impact does. And, of course, we've got the Fantasy Football League going. And both you and us have kind of been in the middle of the pack in the first two weeks. I say that we're lurking. We're kind of like the Cardinals in the middle of the season. We're, we're just lurking, waiting for our opportunity to pounce here. Randy, you never show your cards right away. There's, this is a long season, you know. You, you you save something in the tank. Everybody thinks they got you all figured out, and then you surprise you spring your trap. You know that's all we're doing. We're just uh, setting people up. You know sometimes a hitter will go o two, and he's just setting that pitcher up, trying to get to that pitch he's been looking for the whole time. That's what we're doing. Adam, this is our last Wednesdays with Wayno. Of course, this is a special Thursday edition. We want to thank you for all you've done for us during the course of the year. Go get that two thousand strikeout in Chicago and have a great playoff run. So what I want to do before I, before we leave, I want to say thanks to uh, 101 ESPN. Obviously, thanks for, for giving us this airtime to talk about Big League Impact, but also it's been fun for me too. And Valley Sports Midwest has been great. RT Sports, our great hub for our our, um, our charity, uh, for our fantasy events, they just do an amazing job. Good local company. If you're looking for a, a fantasy company to, to do your draft with, I, I recommend RT Sports big time. But then Cardinals Care is amazing. Texas Rangers, Philadelphia Phillies, they've been great for us. But also local partners like Rawlings and Schnooks uh, and Series 6 have been amazing. And our trophy's coming from um, something called Trophy Smack this year. And it's really cool. It's, a, it's, a, like a, it's like a wrestling belt. It's like a world championship 
felt. So we're going to have a great prize. But, yeah, I just want to say thanks to all the people who made this possible. Appreciate it. Oh, and thank you for making it so great for us and uh, being so easy to work with. You're a pleasure, and hopefully we'll be able to do it again next year. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, Wayno. Have a great day. Thanks, Adam. That is Adam Wainwright getting ready for strikeout number 2000 today in Milwaukee. And what a fun year it was with him. I'm sad that it's over. I smile because it happened, but I'm sad that it's over. Wait a minute. Uh, no uh, visit next week? No. No. Why? He's getting ready for the postseason, Dan. He's got to get right. locked in. Well, maybe you can just book him on the side without anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. No strings attached. Just come on, Wayno. We're just going to kick it. Selfishly, we want to hear from him because he is... So He's great. great. He gives such thoughtful and thorough answers. No doubt. It's unbelievable. Um, but I also respect that he understands that he needs to lock it in. He needs to have tunnel vision if this team is going to make a run in the postseason. So selfishly, we want him. But also selfishly, I like his commitment. Or maybe he's just got golf to go play on his off days. Correct. That I don't might know what be. It is. That Either could way. have been it, too. I don't know. But I'm just saying. And by the way, Maybe. again, I'm not accusatory here. Hey, I'm just whatever saying. he's doing, keep it up. <laughs> whatever <laughs> you need to do. <laughs> he's great. I, you know what? He's going to be so good uh, in whatever life takes him, in, in, in obviously outside of baseball, but he's going to have a role in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know it is. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a coach or broadcasting or whatever, he's just got so much knowledge to give. And part of that is his interpersonal skills of being able to communicate with people. He'll be great Yeah, he whatever will. he does. Hey, 101 ESPN is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cards and Brewers on September 28th. By the way, the Budweiser Bash tickets are sold out, so this is the only place you can get them, and you'll get a, an exclusive Rick Ankiel bobblehead. We've got two four-packs to give away. you got to be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. And here's all you need to do. Tell us. Be texter number 5050. It's Adam Wainwright's number. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, That's a lot of text, though. You know what? We'll do text number 50 and uh, what, 74. How about 60 and, How about 50 12 and 74? and 50. Oh, Since there the you Cardinals go. are going to win their 12th in a row today. There, wow. there you go. 12 and 50. Texters, 12 and 50 to 65780 with the golf course that Adam played with Matt Carpenter in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. If you can tell us what that course was, you can get a four-pack of tickets to the Budweiser Bash. Awesome. I didn't know Ank was uh, coming in next week. How about that? It's going to be great. So he is, uh, he'll be on the games this weekend with me, so I guess he's staying over. I wouldn't assume he's flying home on Monday and flying back on Tuesday. No. But you never know. You don't. You just never know. Guys are all over the place, so... You know, do, do we get number twelve in a row today? <sighs> I'm gonna say yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say yeah. I am too. I, I'm gonna say there's kind of like what Michael has said, guys, where there is a feeling of of being pushed, mm-hmm. and um, and Wayno understands the importance of not only the season but also the motivation to be pushed to win number twelve and keep this thing rolling. Yeah. And could you imagine then you have a chance to set the what was it fourteen as the all time record? Yes. Yeah, for the Cardinals. Yeah, by winning the uh, the double header <laughs> at Wrigley. Oh my gosh, that would be unbelievable. Yeah, I I mean it's not far fetched. No, it's not. You I'm, win today, and anything can happen in right. these double headers. Yep. So I'm not betting against Adam Wainwright. That's for sure. No, me either. I'll tell you what, not this year. This no. has been a just I I'm shocked by it. And every I've said this from day one of probably about a month and a half into the season. I'm enjoying watching him pitch this year more than I ever have in his career. Agreed. It's that much fun. 
All right. We have a million texts, and we have our winners, I'm sure. The golf course that he played in Milwaukee was Blue Mound Golf Course in Wauwatosa. I don't think so. Wisconsin. Got to get up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love... um, Adam was talking about playing golf on the different spots in the central. There's some great spots all across the country. But Milwaukee does have really good golf courses. And now you're going to have the uh, Ryder Cup with temperatures in the 50s and 60s. It's going to be chilly, and that place is going to be going nuts. Yep, It's going to be fun. Dan, we will see you tomorrow on the doubleheader, and Jack Flaherty returns. Yes, looking forward to that. As always, guys, it's uh, fun to be with you. And then you're going to be off next week, so I'll be with Michelle for some of the ga- uh, some of the games, some of the uh, shows. Yeah. Unless Michelle, you want to come on some of the games, that's fine too. Sure, I'd be, be happy to. We'll try to tell get it approved. Tell Brad to scoot over in the booth. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. BT, move on over there. We got a new voice. I'll be paying attention here. though. I'll, I'll be. I'll, I'll watch some games. I'm sure. You uh, don't miss anything, Randy. Even when you're on vacation, you're watching baseball. This is true. Here's the real question. Do you tune into the fight when you're out? I guarantee he does. I really don't. Oh, mm. you are so full of it. You listen to everything in the mornings and in, in the afternoons. But I do know that you win for me. I try. Dan you does do. a great job. Yeah, he does. Because I'm kind of a loser. Oh. Michelle won for you last time when she was the fighter and you were out. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. You got it. But you lost today. <laughs> I said I'm a loser. We're going to end the show on that note. Thanks, Emily, for a great job. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. Producer, engineer, Emily Butcher. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, Randy. You're not a loser, Randy. You keep your head up. You're a winner, just like the Cardinals who are. Peeling. What did that say? It's Michael Scott when he brings back the steel drums from Jamaica. Feeling hot, hot, hot. The Cardinals are hot. Okay. I just thought we were going to advance. When I play old songs, they're old songs. Well, when she plays it, it's cool. It's cool, yeah. It's a throwback. You want to hear it again? Yeah. I love it. That's great. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, <laughs> being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.